And we are on air for Fan for Racing's NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topics Sound Off. And tonight we are reviewing uh, the races at Nashville Super Speedway. And joining me for tonight's show as co-host tonight is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, excited to be here tonight to help out. Uh, heck of a weekend there at Nashville for the first time there for the Cup Series, as well as then the return for the Xfinity and Trucks. Yes, indeed. I thought we saw some great racing there, and we'll talk about it tonight. Uh, but before we do that, in our first half hour, uh, we're going to start off with a few brief updates from the Arca Menard Series, the Arca East, and the Arca West. And then we'll get into the Truck Series. Uh, and the review of that race at Nashville on Friday night. Uh, During the second half hour, we'll review both the Xfinity Series and the Cup Series at Nashville. And at 9.30, we'll start our full one-hour segment for Hot Topic Sound Up with our fans racing crew. And tonight, I think we'll have Mike as well as Tommy joining us for our Hot Topics conversation. Well, we certainly do have some hot topics to cover from this past weekend and things that happened, and uh, no better crew. I know Andy was uh, hoping to make it, but we got Mike and you said Tommy, and I think Owen's going to be joining us in the next couple of weeks as well. So always exciting to mix it up and get some uh, other opinions in here. Yes, indeed. I really like that. And, and Owen and Tommy have been gracious backups this year uh, to make sure that we have a full crew on hand. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into uh, the next races for the Arkham Menard Series, the East and the West, as well as the Sioux Chief Showdown. The next race is going to be this weekend at Pocono Raceway for the Arkham Menard Series. We're racing the general tire anywhere as possible, 200, uh, again, this uh, week, June the 25th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That race will be televised on Fox Sports 1, uh, so folks will be able to tune in uh, to watch them race. After that, the next race is actually going to be on July the 3rd. That's the Napa Auto Parts 150 at Irwindale Speedway for the Arkham Menard Series West. And that race you'll be able to see on uh, NBC Sports Gold Track Pass uh, for those members there. But you'll also be able to follow it at arcaracing.com uh, and the radio coverage that they provide. So uh, do tune in uh, wherever you can there. Uh, after that, the Arkham and Art Series will be racing again at, uh, at, uh, for the uh, for next Sioux Chief Showdown race, I'm sorry, that's, uh, that's the third showdown event for the Sioux Chief Showdown, the Menards 250 on July 10th at Elko Speedway. That race will take place at 10 p.m. Eastern time and will be televised on Mass TV. So, uh, again, it's kind of a double uh, points day uh, for the Arkham Menards series as well as for the Sioux Chief Showdown uh, for that event. Then the ARCA East, along with the ARCA Menard Series, will be racing July 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, at Iowa Speedway for the Shore Lunch 150 
And again, that race will be televised on MAP TV. So all of these races, by the way, you can also listen on the radio at arcaracing.com uh, if you're not able to tune in in any of the other ways. So uh, a lot of racing coming up here for the Arkham and Art Series, Jay. It is, and it's good to see the Arkham and Art Series uh, full up for the month of July, like you mentioned, a lot of racing there for them, and some really key and important events. Uh, for the Pocono race, you got the Arkham and Art Series partnering up and uh, being with the Cup Series as well as the Xfinity Series, and we've seen that at other tracks like Chicagoland uh, where that works out really well. Then you move into the, the Sioux Chief Showdowns. We know how important those are. Uh, I actually had kind of tried to plan a vacation there around July 10th uh, to go home to Minnesota and go to Elko, but just didn't pan out. And then we talk about oh. the East Series running at Iowa Speedway, and we know how important that date for them is at Iowa for the Speedway itself. It is, and, uh, you know, that's a great track, easy to get to, and uh, I hope they have a full house for that event, <laughs> for all these events. And the other, the other one, yeah, the other one you mentioned there, uh, Irwindale Speedway is such a staple from the West Series uh, on July 3rd. Uh, the key one there, to me, takeaway from that there is that is their third race, and, again, they're trying to get their point standing separated as they had the one joint event and now one standalone event. So that's where we're going to see our championship contenders. And we had a little bit of a shuffle up there in the last race. Yes, we did. So, uh, again, Jay and I will be previewing all of these races on Thursdays uh, before those races take place. Uh, so this Thursday we'll be previewing the general tire anywhere as possible, 200 at Pocono Raceway, along with the – Cup Series doubleheader, the uh, Truck Series, and the Xfinity Series with NASCAR. So it's going to be a huge weekend of racing at Pocono Raceway this weekend. And that's, that's part of why I like this stretch of the summer. I know it's hot and gets to be a little uh, long, if you will, the, the hot summer stretch, but so much racing. And the, and the doubleheader at Pocono, we've seen this for, what, two years now? I think has mm -hmm. really turned into a good thing for Pocono weekend uh, for them uh, rather than losing a date and some of the things they do and are toying with, with the, the cup series doing the invert from uh, Saturday to Sunday's race. I really like, I think it's a, a cool twist to the schedule. Yeah, it really is. And so uh, again, it's do not miss racing for NASCAR fans. Uh, and that of course includes the Arkham Menard series. Uh, that is also racing at Pocono this weekend. Now, I just want to refer everybody again to ARCAracing.com. Uh, that's the main website for any ARCA news, and they do such a great job uh, with their interviews and the videos that they put up, 10 questions, getting to know uh, East Series driver Rob Jackaruth. We had him on the show earlier this season from Rev Racing. Uh, he seems like a really great guy, and uh, fans get a chance to get to know him through this video, along with another 10 questions, getting to know 19-year-old West Series driver Bridget Burgess is up there. And, uh, you know, if you want to get some free tickets to an Arkham Menard Series race, you've got to go to this website to find out why. They'll tell you how 
You can get free Sprecher 150 tickets available. That's for the race at the Milwaukee Mile. And also discounted tickets for the Elko race available at the Twin Cities area area Menard stores. So, again, you definitely want to check out this website and uh, get to know how you can get those tickets, discounted or free. Well, certainly a good promotion. We've talked about how much uh, Menards does, not just being a title sponsor. We've, we talked about this with the Camping World Truck Series and what Camping World does. For the ARCA Series here, it is Menards. I mean, they are a full-born partner with the ARCA Menards Series. Yes, they are. And, uh, uh, you know, ARCA, of course, now is part of the NASCAR family, and uh, I love that as well. Uh, and this is one of those weekends where we have the ARCA Menard Series racing with the NASCAR uh, Top 3 Series. So it's kind of a big weekend for them anytime that happens. It really is, and I love the fact that they get to showcase it with their partners. I know uh, Sal is one that we talk about coming from the, the West out in California, doesn't get a whole lot of coverage of them if, if you don't have uh, MAV TV or the track pass. But this is where then they get that national coverage. You see some of the drivers cross over and run some of the races or participate in the broadcast and really highlight these uh, drivers that we're going to see in the future coming to NASCAR or to the top three national touring series. Absolutely. We've seen it before with a lot of the drivers that are now racing in the Cup Series as well as the Xfinity and Truck Series. They got their start in the Arkham Menard Series or the Canon, what used to be known as the Canon Pro Series East and West, is now the Arkham Menard Series East and West. And uh, uh, a chance to really get to know these guys before they become superstars in NASCAR. So uh, a really cool weekend for the Arkham Menard Series to be on the national stage. When you talked about some of the uh, articles and videos that are up on Arca Bernard's page, the 10 questions with uh, Raja Caruth as well as Bridget Burgess, I haven't had a chance yet. I want to take a peek at those, as you mentioned. They, they've been guests here on Fan for Racing blog and radio. Uh, whether or not we hit, the, hit those 10 questions, if we ask the right questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes, uh, you know, it's a little off the, off the racing topic, uh, but it's still a great way to kind of get to know these guys uh, with these chain questions. Also, driver Ed Pompa, a, a kind of a standard uh, uh, driver in the Arkham Menard Series, will continue his virtual camper appreciation tour at Pocono. So you'll get to learn more about that. And then some big news, GMS race, uh, race in the Arkham Menard Series East and is a championship team in that series, uh, is, is uh, competing uh, now in the truck series, but they announced uh, recently that they're looking to go racing in the NASCAR Cup Series next year. So you get to read about all of that on this website as well. So uh, a lot of big news uh, on this website. That's one I know we definitely talked about with Hot Topics and we'll still talk about as we talk about the charter system. Uh, <laughs> I know some more news came out of that as well as then the drivers, those butts that need to come out of the air and start getting into seats. And I think uh, here in the next uh, weeks to months, 
we're going to start hearing more and more about that, as as you like to say, Sharon, that those dominoes are going to start falling. Yes, indeed. Uh, all it takes is for that one domino to fall, and then everything else can kind of fall into place right after that. So uh, we're waiting for that one domino to fall for the rest to uh, kind of fall into place, and then uh, we'll have even more things to talk about on our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And by the way, we're going to have a full hour of NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off tonight, so I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, you know, I always get excited about Hot Topics uh Especially when Mike's on, uh, you know, we don't always see eye to eye, so it's a, it's cool to uh, to go back and forth with him uh, and let the fans hear, again, the different perspectives. And I'll say this, you know, Mike, whether I agree with his side or statements or not, he always brings some stuff to back it up and does make some valid points. Uh, you've heard me say it before, like, hey, I didn't think about that, and I have to agree with him. He's got some good points. So, however, there's some times where I say, hey, I don't think your points are so good, and this is why. <laughs> Well, and that's what makes it fun, I guess, and very interesting, too. So we hope everybody stays tuned in uh, for our Hot Topic Sound Off at 9.30 Eastern Time tonight. Uh, Let's go ahead now and get into the uh, NASCAR Truck Series, the Camping World Truck Series at Nashville Super Speedway. They race on Friday night, 150 laps uh, in the... um, in that race, I'm trying the the Rackley Roofing 200 at Nashville Super Speedway. Uh, Ryan Priest took the lead from Grant Infinger with seven laps left in the race during his very first NASCAR Camping World Truck Series victory and his first time ever racing in the series. So that was pretty cool to see. Uh, he was. Uh, debuting in the number 17 at Nashville Super Speedway on Friday night. And uh, it was he was making a one-off start in preparation for Sunday's Cup Series race. Uh, but I think I saw his name on the uh, entry list for this coming weekend as well. So uh, competition beware. Todd Gilliland finished in second place after starting in the rear of the field. Uh, the number 98 of Grant Infinger actually ended up in third place, uh, followed by Zane Smith and Stuart Friesen to round out the top five. Then it was Matt Crafton, Ben Rose, Ty Majeski, Austin Hill, and John Hunter Nemechek making up the remainder of the top ten. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek's been winning all kinds of races, so it's kind of unusual for him to be finishing tenth uh, at Nashville this weekend. The pole winner in stage one winner was actually Derek Krauss, uh, but he ended up finishing 35th despite leading a career-high 48 laps. Uh, The stage two winner was Chandler Smith. He played 13th in the final rundown. Uh, There were eight lead changes among six drivers and five cautions for 29 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 114.637 miles per hour. Ryan Priest won again his very first race in the Camping World Truck Series. It was his first victory. He is the fifth driver to win a Camping World Truck Series race in his first start. He joins Mike Skinner, who did it at Phoenix in 1995. 
Robert Presley at Daytona in 2002, Casey Kane at Darlington in 2004, and Ryan Newman at Atlanta in 2008. Todd Gilliland posted his second, uh, I'm sorry, his first top 10 finish in one race at Nashville, but it's also his eighth top 10 finish this year. Grant Denfinger posting his first top 10 finish in one race at Nashville. Chandler Smith, who finished 13th, was the highest finishing rookie, and we'll go into the points report in just a little bit. So, Jay, what are your thoughts about uh, these top 10? You got the top 10 there, but there is at least 20 good stories throughout that. You got to start with the return to Nashville. Uh, the truck series kicked it off, I thought, had a heck of a race uh, and showcased what that track is capable of. Um, mentioned it. We saw the the battle for the the race lead there at the end, seven laps to go. That Ryan Priest took the lead, and Todd Gillen was coming. So some great on track racing action. I know NASCAR went with the resin uh, instead of the PJ1, which is a little bit different. I think we might hear more about that in the future. But just going down the list, you start with you mentioned it. Ryan Priest first start in the Camping World Truck Series gets the victory. That is so great for him. Uh, I know the Cup Series hasn't exactly been the best to him, uh, running without a charter. So that confidence boost uh, to a driver, uh, we've talked about that, and we'll talk a little more with John Hunter Nemechek returning to the Truck Series. That is huge. Huge for Todd or, uh, David Gillen racing DGR, the 17 team. The 38 being kind of an affiliate of them, of Front Row Motorsports, Todd Gillen been on a tear as of late. Uh, so that's some great stories right there in the top two. Third place, and I believe I put this up, uh, I hope I did, for Hot Topics. Grant Enfinger, mm-hmm. third place, almost come up with the victory. Uh, they talked about it during the broadcast. He had requested the waiver for the playoffs and has been denied. So we'll get into that later in Hot Topics. And then you have a couple drivers, Zane Smith and Stuart Friesen, uh, needed some good runs for their season, and they got them here. I know the Camping World Truck Series now, I believe we're down to three races left uh, before they hit their playoffs. I so think so, these yeah. Finishes, yeah. These finishes are extremely important. In the second half of the top five, uh, you mentioned there are some good runs, Matt Craft and Ben Rhodes. We know where they're sitting in the playoffs and, and gonna, trying to tune up before we hit the playoffs. But eighth place, Ty Majeski, another one getting uh, to come back to the Truck Series uh, good run for him there in uh, eighth place, started 13th. And then you mentioned John Hunter Nemechek. Uh, do we call it a bad race? He finished 10th. I mean, he really wasn't <laughs> talked about a whole lot during the race, uh, you know, truthfully. Uh, I think he had worked his way back up to 10th, and uh, looking at it, he started 34th. So he did make a, a great improvement, um, but didn't really get talked about because, yeah, it's not the typical John Hunter Nemechek race that we've come to see from him in the KBM uh, team. It's so true, uh, but there's there's so many great stories uh, uh, that are outside of the top ten as well. When you think about uh, Chandler Smith being the highest finishing rookie, uh, Sheldon Creed had an atypical race as well. He finished in 14th place, uh, but there were a couple of other uh, Rookies, uh, Chase Purdy finishing 15th, Carson Hosevar in 16th, uh, Parker Kligerman raced this weekend, Josh Berry 
uh, was racing this weekend, uh, and uh, that was good to see him. I think I saw him on the entry list uh, for this coming weekend as well. Uh, Haley Deegan, another one of the rookies, finishing in 21st place. I really thought Ross Chastain was going to have a better night. Uh, he ended up not having the night we expected. Tyler Ankrum, kind of the same thing. Uh, so Austin Wayne, it wasn't his night at, uh, at uh, Nashville. Uh, to these guys' uh, credit, and William Byron, what about William Byron, one of the Cup Series guys, finishing in 36th place? Uh, didn't expect to see that either. There are actually three Cup drivers uh, racing this weekend in the uh, Truck Series, and, and none of them really had that great of a night. Yeah, you're right. You hit on it there, and you're talking about another 10 to 20 stories. Uh, start with, with uh, William Byron, since that was the last one you mentioned. Uh, some mechanical issues. It was running real good. I believe it qualified 10th and looked to be one of the favorites uh, for sure. The other the other pack that you mentioned, uh, I'm going to kind of put them all together, but Chandler Smith, the, the top finishing rookie, you also had Chase Purdy, who finished 15th, Carson Horsevoort, who finished 16th, and then Haley Deegan, 21st, all four of the rookies ran really well throughout that race and maybe not got the finish that we were looking for. Uh, I know you were, you had picked Ross Chastain. I had Chandler Smith. He was up there battling in the top five until the late going where he slid back. But I thought all four rookies uh, really performed really well there at, uh, at Nashville. Mm-hmm. And I like to see that. Uh, we're seeing that as they – and this wasn't a return to that track, but we had practice – uh, second half of the season, whether it's a, a repeat track or not, we're going to see these teams with these rookies especially really start to show their improvement. And I kind of jumped over one there. Uh, Jack Wood making a start in the GMS number 24, started second, ran really well, and then ended up 11th, so just outside the top 10. Uh, another great run for him that I think we're going to see more out of him in the future. Unfortunately, there were a few drivers that didn't make the field uh, this weekend in the at uh, Nashville. J.J. Yaley was one, Clay Greenfield, Brett Holmes, uh, Spencer Boyd, Keith McGee, and Josh Rayum. Uh, those drivers did not make the field, uh, but it's good to see that we had more people than there were positions. Uh, we haven't seen that in a while, so a lot of people wanting to compete in this Camping World Truck Series. Yeah, and I know NASCAR is uh, looking at that. What I do like from one aspect of it here is you don't have the charter system. Uh, These guys got the opportunity to qualify, so, yeah, you race your way in. And you know that I've always been a fan of that. Uh, It is tough Mm -hmm. on those teams uh, that did not make it. you, You feel bad for them, but I think that is what builds then the competitiveness within the truck series and Xfinity series and those opportunities uh, for those teams to, to grow. Um, I know some teams have been utilizing, the, like you mentioned, the, the Cup Series drivers. Uh, that's one of the ways they certainly can. But it also opens the door. You look at, like, Ty Majeski and, and the good run he has when they are able to get uh, into the race and have good runs like that, building those teams up so they are more competitive and next time don't get knocked out during qualifying. Exactly right. Okay, let's go ahead and hit the uh, points report, Jay. 
All right. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek should still be at the top. Let me verify that. He most certainly is. Uh, still got a 70-point lead over Ben Rhodes. He's got the four victories, eight stage wins for a whopping 28 playoff points. And that's huge here in the truck series. You see second place Ben Rhodes, two race wins, one stage win, only has 11 playoff points. And here in the truck series, then you got Austin Hill, the one that's uh, hanging in there without any victories yet and no stage wins, currently third in points. When they reshuffle, though, for the playoffs, going to get uh, pushed down just a little bit because we got a couple more. Zane Smith, uh, two playoff points. He's got two stage wins. Todd Gillen, I mentioned the, the, the run he's been on. He was battling outside, picked up the victory, two stage wins now for a total of seven playoff points. So he's setting himself up real good heading into the playoffs, uh, peaking at the right time, if you will. Then in sixth place on the points right now, that's where you have Grant Enfinger listed. Uh, one stage win for one playoff point. So, again, he's top half or just outside the top half of the top drivers here in the truck series minus one race. Uh, I'm hoping, and again, I don't want to get into it. We'll hit it in hot topics, but that maybe NASCAR reconsiders that. Uh, there you got to move in down to then Sheldon Creed, one win, one playoff point for six going into the playoffs right now. Then you got Matt Crafton and Stuart Friesen, uh, two that veterans that obviously uh, are trying to set themselves up, kind of get get a little more out of their seasons than than they've had so far. Uh, Stuart Friesen especially. Then it's rookie Carson Horsalor and Chandler Smith that are tenth and eleventh, and we got to go down to eleventh. So we're in there for not being counted at this point. Uh, Chandler Smith is the Bubble itself in the 11th at 296 points. Outside that, then you have Johnny Sauter, another one veteran that really has had two, three, two and a half to three rough seasons. He's on the outside looking in um, 15 points back. Then you got Austin Wayne Self, Tyler Ankrum, and Derek Krause. And when you did the rundown there, I forgot to mention Derek Krause. He was having a uh, phenomenal race there uh, prior mm-hmm. to having an issue in, in his finishing position. So uh, out-qualified everybody by quite a margin, actually. Uh, I know that the broadcasters were quite amazed at the gap that he had in qualifying that he actually was on the pole. Yeah, he his uh, finish does not uh, indicate just how well he ran for a good part of that race. As we mentioned earlier, I think he led like 48 laps. Uh, which is a race high for him. He's never led that many many laps before. So he was having a good go of it until he ran into some issues. And I know it's got to be tough for a team, uh, especially with that finish, still looking on the outside of the playoffs. They're sitting at 332 points. Got to get up to Chandler Smith at 296. So that's 60 points in three races. And that's just if you were pointing against one guy and they're not. So... But the mm-hmm. team can take away some positives. Uh, again, that great run, started on the pole, we're running really good, uh, just be able to start putting up, putting those finishes together when they get that kind of starting position and race run like that. Absolutely. They're definitely moving in the right direction, and that's always a good thing. Okay, anything more that uh, we want to touch on in the truck series before we move on? Uh, no, I don't think so for the truck series. Uh, oh, there was one. Uh, you mentioned Josh Berry. 
I think we're going to see him pop up maybe in a couple more. He is uh, indeed on the list for Pocono. And when they interviewed him, they said that it was kind of a, yeah, a couple race deal. But his time with Junior Motorsports uh, is coming to an end. And the performance he's had both in the Xfinity Series and in his other starts here in the Truck Series, as well as his first cup start, has gotten his name out there. So we may see him pop up some more, possibly with some other different teams. Yeah, I think that'll be great. Uh, and I'm definitely looking for that. As you know, I picked him a few times uh, as part of a fantasy group. So uh, I hope Josh Berry continues to race and, and to get those opportunities. Okay, let's go ahead and move on now then to the Xfinity Series. Uh, Kyle Busch makes some history at Nashville, earning his historic 100th NASCAR Xfinity Series victory Saturday at Nashville Super Speedway, and he did it in epic fashion, starting on the pole position and leading a race-high 123 of 189 laps and bettering the field on three restarts in the closing 20 laps of the Tennessee Lottery 250. Uh, overcoming a rash of late restarts, Kyle Busch won the, rate, the extended race at Nashville and with the victory made history again, picking up his 100th NASCAR Xfinity Series victory. He's won all three races that he's competed in so far this season, so that means he has two more to go. Uh, and again, <laughs> competitors beware because uh, Kyle Busch, uh, uh, he did mention they asked him about his 100th race if he was going to stop racing. Uh, but he said he has a couple more commitments yet this season, uh, so he has to fulfill those commitments before he can even think about the possibility of uh, quitting. So we'll see what happens after this season, uh, but he's going to honor those commitments that he's already made. After passing Bush on an earlier restart, Justin Algauer finished runner-up for the second consecutive week uh, so I'm sure that was frustrating for Justin. Harrison Burton finished in third. Josh Berry uh, with um, his last race at Junior Motorsports in fourth place. And then it was A.J. Allmendinger rounding out the top five. Then it was Brandon Jones, Jeb Burton, Nor Gregson, Austin Hill, and Riley Earps making up the rest of the top ten. Uh, despite wrecking out late and finishing 35th, Austin Sendrick actually won the opening stage, and Bush was the winner of the second stage. There were 12 lead changes among five drivers and eight cautions for 46 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 107.118 miles per hour. Uh, So here's a few fast facts. Uh, The Tennessee Lottery uh, 250 was the inaugural uh, Xfinity Series race at uh, for Martinsville. Uh, Bush's 100th victory and 360 Xfinity Series races. Mark Martin is the closest to him with 49 series wins. So that's a pretty big gap. Uh, this is his third victory and third top 10 finish in 2021. In just his second victory and sixth top 10 finish in 11 races at Nashville Super Speedway, Justin Algor posted his 
fourth top ten finish in seven races at Nashville. And his eighth top ten finish this year, Harrison Burton in third, posting his first top ten finish in one race at Nashville. Josh Berry was the highest finishing rookie. Austin Sendrick, uh, uh, we will talk about it as we go over the points report here in just a few minutes. But let's talk about those top ten drivers. Well, I know a lot of fans may look at it as this was uh, the one story for the weekend. Kyle Busch, 100 wins. Uh, the stat line does show uh, some domination to it, but it was not an easy cruiserweight victory. Uh, you mentioned no. Justin Algar. They were bumping and banging coming to the finish. Uh, got each other sideways a couple of times. Harrison Burton right there waiting to pounce on it if if he got the opportunity. And then Josh Berry mentioned last ride for for the year with Junior Motorsports. Uh, I believe he went back. He started 22nd, finished 4th. I believe he did that about three times through the race, well, one due to penalty and then one due to a pitch strategy that didn't pan out uh, there in the closing laps in the last, I believe it was 30 laps, and they didn't know if he could even get back to the top 10. He came back to finish 4th, getting into the top 5. So a huge storyline mm-hmm. in, in that, and again, I think that's leading to some of these other opportunities you're seeing him get. Uh, then you got uh, AJ Allmendinger. What's that? I said without a doubt, Josh Berry has been a huge storyline, I think, all season long. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, if, if he gets other Xfinity Series rides because he still will be in contention for Rookie of the Year with uh, Ty Gibbs and then Sam Mayer coming into that same ride. So that's going to be interesting to watch, even though he might not have the, the same starts or, you know, out a week or two. Yeah, that's uh, true. Running through the rest, rest of the, the top five and top ten, uh, we saw A.J. Allmendinger, Brandon Jones, Jeb Burton, Noah Gregson, all good runs. I think you got to highlight Noah Gregson. Uh, again, the season he's had, I want to say they had two or three DNFs in a row, uh, a couple of them, one-lap races, uh, if you will. Uh, so good run for Noah Gregson. Again, just going to squeak into the points there when we get to that. Um, but, again, getting getting on the right track, we've seen his team, Michael Annette, finished uh, 12th, had a good run. So Junior Motorsports on the uptick. Noah Gregson just needs to, uh, to write that team, or that team needs to write itself. Uh, get the finishes of, of what they we know they're capable of. And then Austin Hill, uh, we talked about this point into the race, uh, getting a couple of races in. Again, started 15th and finished 9th. Uh, great great run for Austin Hill. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, I thought all of those guys uh, had really good runs uh, and happy to see Austin Hill racing in the Xfinity Series and having a top 10 finish there. Uh, Joe Gibbs racing, four, four drivers all in the top ten. Uh, that was a good day. Uh, I guess not all. Well, let me think here. Brandon Jones, Kyle Busch. I guess it wasn't all four of their drivers. Uh, Dan, Daniel, yeah, Daniel Hamrick in 13th, I think, was their worst finishing. Yeah, which is kind of surprising because that's not indicative of how well he ran. He was up there in that top ten for a good part of the race. Uh, same thing with Tyler Reddick. He he was having a good run. Uh, Justin Haley in 
19th place, uh, kind of an unusual finish for him as well. Will Rogers was in this race. I always love seeing Will Rogers behind the wheel of an Xfinity Series car and getting an opportunity. He was in the number 26 car uh, this weekend. He's typically a good road racer, uh, but this was good to see him on uh, one of the more intermediate type tracks. Uh, J.J. Ailey was in the Xfinity Series race. Natalie Decker, Kyle Weatherman, uh, so uh, a lot of uh, really good uh, runs here. Atypical run for Brandon Brown, too. Uh, he had some brake issues, uh, leaving him with the 35th place finish. Yeah, you always hate that when you get to the bottom and see some drivers that had good runs and just bad finishes. Uh, you mentioned uh, Austin Sindrick down there as well as then uh, Joe Graff Jr. Uh, and I don't remember, I know Joe Graff Jr. was involved in a wreck not of his own doing, uh, one that he kind of got tangled up in somebody else's uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, same goes for Austin Sendrick. And, and that's one for fans that want to say, you know, yeah, I kind of got tuned in temporarily or done the race. Kyle Busch was leading, so I tuned out to, to not see and understand what truly happened in that race. I mentioned, um, him and Justin Algar leaning on each other and getting sideways uh, there in those closing laps. When they did that, mm-hmm. the cars behind them uh, thought they were going to spin out and kind of checked up and ended up wrecking behind them. Uh, those two drivers mm-hmm. didn't wreck. The wreck happened behind them. Austin Sindrick involved heavily in that as he hit the wall hard. That's where Daniel Hemrick took some damage and ended up sliding backwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to think who else was involved in that, that, uh, minor damage that cost them a better finish than where they were running. I don't remember if uh, Myatt Schneider might have been involved in that one as well. Uh, yeah, I think he was the number two car. So he ended up so with that's a, a, not indicative of his race finish. I, I know in, a, in several sports where you got to look at that, but when it comes to racing like this, like I said, if you read the stat line, yeah, it appears Kyle Busch dominated. But if you watch that race, you know that he worked his tail off for it. Uh, you mentioned uh, Austin Sindrick getting that first uh, stage win. And the, the broadcasters talked about that. Uh, you know, if you're going to beat Kyle, you got to get by him. And Sindrick did and held him off for the stage win, then ended up behind him. Uh, you talked about Justin Algar and those last three or four mm-hmm. restarts. I mean, they swapped it back and forth. Uh, it was a matter of whether or not each one could hold it uh, for those final laps. And that is what is so cool about Kyle Busch being in the Xfinity Series. All of these drivers in the Xfinity Series want to beat Kyle Busch. <laughs> and uh, when they can get up there and race with him and go back and forth the way Justin Algauer did, the way Austin Sindrick did, that is the thrill uh, for these drivers to be able to compete with somebody like Kyle Busch, who has 100 victories in the Xfinity Series. Uh, that he is the bar that these drivers are striving for, and uh, to be up there competing with him is is really a big deal. And Sharon, you might be able to help me out with with the history here. Uh, I'm trying to think how far back it was that when David Gilliland, uh, if you follow the Arca Menards West series, it was the K and N. As Sharon mentioned, the K and N Pro Series West back then. You knew that name. Uh, I mean, if you're a true fan, you, you've heard of the Gilliland name. But, I mean, he really got notoriety when he beat Kyle Busch. I want to say it was at Kansas. At it might have been Kentucky. 
Okay, well, Kentucky, Kentucky that's, a, that's why we're a team here. I was like, I had two tracks in my head, and I couldn't remember for sure. Um, but that's when Robert Yates uh, noticed him and brought him up to the Cup Series for that reason. Mm-hmm. If somebody can go toe-to-toe with Kyle Busch, you know they got to have some talent. Same thing happened with Eric Jones. Eric Jones beat Kyle Busch at the Snowball Derby, and that's when Kyle Busch yep. uh, brought him into Kyle Busch Motorsports. And I, th- I think it was uh, two different drivers, but the Joey Logano got a, a nod from Kevin Harvick in a Canon Pro Series East race. Uh, I, I want to say it might, that one might have been at Elko. I know it was in the upper to Midwest. Oh, I thought it was. I know Joey Logano uh, had a big win at Auto Club Speedway uh, in the K&N Pro Series. I don't know if that's the one with Harvick, because that would be kind of a home track for for uh, for uh, Kevin Harvick and for uh, for Joey Logano to come in there and beat Harvick at Auto Club Speedway was a big deal. But yeah, you're right, and I know we'll talk about that with Kyle Busch. There is value to him being in the Xfinity Series, so we'll get yes, more into indeed. that in hot topics as well. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and hit the uh, points reports before we run out of time, Jay. All right, Austin Sendrick, still your points leader, uh, despite the bad finish, does still have the three wins. Seven stage wins. He's got a total of 22 playoff points. A little bit of a lead, but not as big as we saw in the truck series. A.J. Almendinger, two wins, three stages for 13 points. Mentioned Daniel Hemrick. Now, he is back in third as the top driver without a win, but has five stage wins. Tells you he's been running up front for those five playoff points. Harrison Burton, those two have gone back and forth. Now, it's 528 to 501. Uh, Harrison Burton only has one stage win for one point. Then you got Justin Algar. Talked about Junior Motorsports having that roller coaster year. Algar has two wins and one stage win for 11 points, uh, playoff points, but he's fifth. Jeb Burton, one win for five. Justin Haley, uh, let's see, three stage wins for three points. Brandon Jones, one stage win. Noah Gregson now in the ninth with two stage wins for two playoff points. And Michael Annette, Jeremy Clements, and Brandon Brown. And that's your top. Oh, wait, uh, take that back. Xfinity Series, we only got 10. Is it? Yeah, yeah the 12 trucks. In the no, 12, 12 in the Xfinity Series, 10 in the trucks. Okay. Uh, Michael Annette in 10th. And you got Jeremy Clements and Brandon Brown. And that's where the, the, the line is. Jeremy Clements, a pretty solid at 383. Brandon Brown now at 335. But his bad finish, as well as a good run by Riley Herbst, and I see where the jump is. I thought this. Okay. Riley Herbst is only three points or two points behind Brandon Brown. But the cut line actually gets moved because Myatt Schneider is now in 14, Mm -hmm. has a victory, bumps himself in. So that actually puts Brandon Brown on the outside. Uh, So not only does he need to make up what almost 50 points to Jeremy Clements, but he's now got Riley Herbst two points with him. So both of those two drivers got to battle each other as well as gain those 50 points on Jeremy Clements. As, again, Myatt Schneider locked in with that victory. Absolutely. And, and let's not forget, Ty Gibbs, only seven races of the 15 races that he started 
uh, and he has two victories in those seven races. I don't think they they have uh, requested a waiver for him, but uh, what an amazing season Ty Gibbs has had in the Xfinity Series as well in those seven races. Well, before we hit on that in hot topics, as I brought up with uh, Grant Ensinger, if they have requested it, it better come back denied because if he's a, he hasn't even run half and Grant Ensinger's only missed one, uh, I'd have some have real issues wins. with that. Well, the difference, though, is that he has the wins. Grant Ensinger does not yet have a win. So I think but he's six he in, but win, he's six in points. that would be a huge difference. But he... Huh? Yeah, but he's six in points, so he'd be in anyway. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I hear you. We'll, we'll get okay. to that in Hot Topics. <laughs> okay. Uh, for now, we're going to move on back to the uh, uh, Cup Series and their race at, uh, at uh, Nashville Speedway because that was a big deal. Uh, it was the... First time that the Cup Series is raced at uh, at Nashville, and Kyle Larson uh, was so dominant, continuing his streak of superiority Sunday afternoon in the Ally 400. It was his third consecutive points-paying win, following three consecutive runner-up finishes. He hasn't finished worse than second place in the NASCAR Cup Series race since May second. It's amazing. It's a high-performance mark the series hasn't seen in more than a decade when former Hendrick Motorsports driver Jimmy Johnson won four straight points-paying races in 2007. Larson's win Sunday was his third straight points-paying victory, but he also won the All-Star race for $1 million uh, in the exhibition race last week at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, the win was his fourth win of the year and the tenth of his career. Chastain finished second for his career best finish. Byron was third, followed by pole sitter uh, Eric Almarola, Havrick, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Daniel Suarez, uh, Kurt Busch, Christopher Bell, and Joey Logano rounding out the top ten. Larson led six times for 264 of the 300 laps, picking up his fourth consecutive win, including the all-star race. Chase Elliott, who originally finished 13th, was disqualified for having five loose lug nuts at the end of the race. Stage one was run by Kurt Busch after Elliott's uh, penalty. Stage two was won by Kyle Larson, and there were 14 lead changes among seven drivers, 11 cautions for 60 yellow flag laps. The average speed of the race was 113.792 miles per hour. Uh, it was Kyle Larson's 10th victory in 240 Cup Series races, his fourth victory in 12th top this year. Ross Chastain posted his first top 10 finish in one race at Nashville, and it is his fourth top 10 finish this year. William Byron finished third, posting his first top 10 finish at Nashville Super Speedway. Anthony Alfredo in 18th was the highest finishing rookie of the race. So your thoughts about the top 10 drivers there? Well, I don't even know what to take as the top story uh, from it. 
Uh, one of it's going to kind of be a repeat of the Xfinity Series, but just the return of the Cup Series to Nashville, the break package or whatever issue they had with that, Kyle Larson with the domination. Again, you can't just read the stat line, though. Um, throughout that, there was a possibility of him on a fuel issue. Ross Jastain mm-hmm. getting a, a second-place finish there, huge for them. We've seen uh, Chip Ganassi racing, uh, where is it, Kurt Busch finished eighth, and he's battle- trying to battle his way into the playoffs right on the bubble. We'll talk about that when we do the standings. But you also had William Byron, obviously, with Hendrick Motorsports as part of that team, right there with his teammates. But the turn of the table for, for Stuart Haas Racing, Eric Almarola had the pole, uh, finished there in fourth. Kevin Harvick qualified 12th and finished fifth. So we see that. And then that playoff bubble we'll talk about in the point standings. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. with a sixth-place finish, along with Daniel Suarez in seventh, Kurt Busch. These guys are on that play- outside of that playoff bubble. And Chris Busher, who is on the inside or top side of it, having a, unfortunately having a bad finish of 36. Uh, tighten that battle up there. So we'll look at that in a point. Mm-hmm. But, again, there are so many great storylines here. Um, teams that are on their game and doing good, teams that are turning it around, and maybe some that are faltering a little bit here as we head into the playoffs. Well, I was a little bit shocked. Denny Hamlin ended up having to pit right at the end of the race. And so he ended up finishing in 21st place. Martin Truex Jr. just could not get anything going. He ended up with a 22nd place finish. And I thought Brad Keselowski, with prior experience at Nashville, would have a much better day than what he had. He ended up in 23rd place. And with Matt Benedetto right behind him. So some of the uh, top-name drivers uh, really not having the day we expected at the track. And this is Blaine, something, Blaine. and I understand if, yeah, Blaney, Blaney had another one you mentioned having a tough day. Uh, a couple, a couple things I'll hit on there. Um, you mentioned some of some of the top teams. Uh, Blaney Keslowski having having decent runs. I won't say great runs, but decent runs, but not not the finish. Truex, I think it was. I don't remember which one of the broadcasters mentioned it. When they're on, they're like Kyle Larson. They just dominate a race. But when they're off, they are way off. Uh, you know, there's no middle ground of a, a good points day, if you will. They're, they're either up front or they're way in the back. Uh, and we saw that again from Martin Truex in that number 19 Joe Gibbs racing team. But that provides for better storylines throughout the year. It may not be for just this race. You've got to look at the, at the whole season and where everything's at mentioned Ross Chastain, Eric Almarola, Kevin Harvick, Ricky Stenhouse, Daniel Suarez. So as a long-term fan and, and invested in the sport, uh, there's so many still great storylines. When, when you have that bad, mm-hmm. somebody didn't qualify, somebody run good, you know, th- there's both sides to it. So with those top teams having those rough days, you see the good storylines like Michael McDowell winning the Daytona 500. Exactly. Well, Ross Chastain was a big storyline uh, coming in in second place. That was a pit strategy uh, that got them in that position. I think they didn't pit when a lot of people did pit. And then another time, I think they only took two tires instead of four, and it put them in, in the right place 
to come home with a second place finish. So that was pretty cool. It looked like Hendrick Motorsports was going to have another one-two finish until Ross Chastain was able to make that pass on William Byron. And you're right, and that one uh, was so close to paying off with a victory and putting him into the playoffs because, like I said, Kyle Larson also had some fuel concerns. Uh, William Byron, mm-hmm. when, he, when Ross Chastain came up to pass him, they said that Byron might have been in conservation mode because he pretty much moved over and let him go uh, didn't feel like he could race him. Kurt Busch, I believe, finishing eighth. I don't know if he lost any spots there at the end. I know he checked up. I think he ran out coming to the checkered. And then you mentioned Denny mm-hmm. Hamlin. Uh, you, you talk about a splash and go. He had to come in coming to the white flag, I believe, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so all they did was put in a couple of drops to get him that one mile. I mean, how much field does it take to go 1.33 miles, and he had to come get it? <laughs> exactly. Uh, it made the race pretty exciting, though. And I thought all three races were pretty good races. It was, and I mentioned the storyline, I think one of the big storylines, and I'm not sure how it happens, uh, especially at the Cup Series level, of how I'm trying to think how they put it. It's it's listed as a short track at 1.33, uh, but runs like a a mile and a half or a speedway. And so I think that they made a mistake in the packaging that they were going to need. And the yes. speeds they carry, then normally you go with the lighter brakes. But being that it is still a short track and the tight corners the they rotor, have. Yeah. Yeah, they needed a different rotor package, and that's why we were seeing the the brake issues and the tire issues we were seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they definitely missed the mark on the rotor package for Nashville. And, and you know, the one thing they didn't take into consideration is that these Cup Series cars are so much heavier than the uh, Xfinity Series cars, and so they can't bring a light... Uh, uh, rotor package, I guess, to the track, and they found that out. Of course, 2020 vision, in hindsight, <laughs> they recognized that uh, fairly quickly when so many of the drivers had rotor issues. So, um, yeah, next here's time a, you better here's believe. Here's what surprised me. It wasn't, it wasn't like rotor. it was one. It wasn't like it was one team that tried it. It was every mm-hmm. team, you know. I mean, that at least was battling it. Some of them had worse results than others, but like I said, it was exactly. like as an industry that they went with that package and it didn't pan out. And and that's what kind of surprised me. Yeah, it was kind of surprising that uh the whole the whole kit and caboodle uh kind of missed the mark on that rotor package. Uh, but next time they come to Nashville, they're going to have a much thicker rotor on those tires. And uh, these drivers are going to understand how important brakes are at that track. But there's some drivers that are really, really good uh, with their brakes. And Chase Elliott's one of those guys. Uh, I'm trying to think who are some of the other guys that are really good on brakes. Uh, I guess Kyle Larson would have to be one of those guys as well as William Byron. Because uh, those guys uh, were able to take care of their brakes and and have those good finishes at the end of the race. Well, you're right, and I, I just say this: uh, Kyle Larson's really good with all aspects uh, to it. And <laughs> I know you're going to ask me to go into the point standings here, and my computer just shut down. So if you want to start that, I'm oh. trying to pull my computer back up. 
Okay, yeah, let me go ahead and get into the uh, Xfinity Series points. Uh, Denny Hamlin, of course, still has the lead, uh, but no wins. He only has the five-stage wins, giving him five playoff points. Kyle Larson in second place right now, but he has the four wins, 12-stage wins, and a whopping 32 playoff points. Uh, William Byron in third, uh, 81 points back, has the one-race win, uh, with one stage win for six playoff points, Chase Elliott one win and six and one stage win for six playoff points. Joey Logano in fifth place to round out that group uh, with eight playoff points and one win. <clears throat> Kyle Busch is sixth. Uh, he has the one win and two stage wins for seven playoff points. Martin Truex now seventh. Three wins, three uh, stage wins for 18 playoff points. So that moves him up when the playoffs begin. Uh, Ryan, I'm sorry, Kevin Harvick in third. He has uh, uh, zero wins this year, which is just amazing. He has no playoff points either. So uh, not a typical year for Kevin Harvick so far. Ryan Blaney in, in ninth place. He has the one win. Three stage wins for eight playoff points. Brad Keselowski in 10th, one win, uh, one stage win for six playoff points. Austin Dillon in 11th, he has no wins, no no stage wins, so no playoff points. Alex Bowman in 12th with two wins, giving him 10 playoff points. Tyler Reddick fits in 13th, no wins, no playoff points. Christopher Bell, one win, giving him five playoff points. Chris Buescher right now is 15th, no wins, one stage win for one playoff point. Michael McDowell holds on to that 16th spot. He has uh, one win and five playoff points. Now, <clears throat> Kurt Busch is, is the driver sitting just below that cutoff line. I think he's eight points out. Uh, he has the one playoff point. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is 18th. He's 19 points out. Dado is uh, 19th. And Ross Chastain sits in that 20th position. Uh, these guys are, are, they've got to get a win if they want to get in. Uh, and the door is open, even though there's, uh, I think, 11 different drivers uh, with wins. Uh, these drivers that don't have a win and the most vulnerable are the ones closest to the cutoff line, like Chris Buescher or Tyler Reddick. Uh, if, if a couple of these guys below that cut line get a win, it's going to push them out. And we, we talked about that coming into this. Uh, that, that cut line certainly did with Chris Buescher having a, having a rough finish there, uh, 32nd or wherever he finished. Um, the other one that you got to look at the top uh, of the board. All year we've talked about the monstrous lead. Without a win, the monster lead that Denny Hamlin had over Kyle Larson, pretty much guaranteeing him as the regular season points champion and being locked in. If Kyle Larson takes over that spot, uh, Denny Hamlin is going to lose the, those playoff points that he'd get for um, – Finisher oh, being the, right. the regular season point, points leader. So that's going to shuffle him down to, what was it, 11th or 12th. Now, I don't see at mm-hmm. this point, I know we talked about it early in the year, 
16 drivers getting in on wins. I don't see that happening anymore because it would have to be five new winners here in these final races. So I don't think that's a concern, but it's going to be a hit to Denny Hamlin, uh, being that he doesn't have any wins, or where he's going to shuffle down in the playoff uh, standings once they reset, especially if he doesn't get those 15 bonus points. Yeah, I'm sorry. My dog is barking here in the background. I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's a great point that you're bringing up. And we're going to be setting hot topics here. I'm going to bring the guys into the queue. If you want to go ahead and get hot topics started, I'll find out what's going on. Uh, All right. Both well, Tommy and, bring them in. And uh, Mike are here. All right, we'll start with Mike if he is keyed up and ready to go, hopefully. I am keyed up. I am ready to go, and a big hey-o to everybody. Well, that wasn't a very big hey-o. All right, we'll see. Uh, Tommy was the other one then. Uh, hopefully she unkeyed them both. Tommy, are you here? Hey, how are you? Good. How are we doing tonight? All right. Uh well, Mike said he's keyed up. Tommy, how keyed up are you? We're going to let you start with the first hot topic to, to go at it tonight. All right, let's go with um, Calling Racing doing um, two charters for next year. All right, that's an interesting one for sure. Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit on Thursday, but the fact that they did manage to get two of them and what that means. So, Mike, what's your take on it? It was no surprise that Colleague Racing was going cup racing next year. They've already announced that they've been making plans for it for several years at this point. The big surprise here was that they came out and said that they've acquired two charters already. Now, it sounds like both those charters came from Spire Motorsports. No word from Spire regarding what their future plans are, but it sounds like the, uh, the, the early moves and charter acquisition have already taken place, and with two charters taken off the table from Spire, that means the remaining potentially available charters from the likes of Rick Ware Racing may have just gone up in value a lot. Okay, Jay, you want to give your two cents? All right. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, a couple of things I, that I think are going to be interesting, and I don't know enough about the charter system, but the fact that their plans are one full-time ride for Justin Haley and a part-time schedule with, uh, A.J. Allmendinger as the other. From my understanding, for the charter, you need to be doing it full-time. So if they aren't running A.J. Allmendinger all year, they better be somebody else in that car, or I think they're going to have an issue with keeping that charter uh, after this year. And as Mike pointed out, though, with those two coming off the board from Spire, these other teams that we've talked about, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong, the Trackhouse Racing was leasing a charter this year from Spire Motorsports. And they were talking about expanding the two teams. We've, we've heard talk about Denny Hamlin, uh, 2311, going to a, to a second team. Junior Motorsports possibly coming in. GMS Racing coming in. So you're right. The Rick Ware's sitting on some, uh, on some gold right now. Okay, so uh, Tommy, I'm going to go to your thoughts, and then I'll I'll give my thoughts on the second go around. Uh, so 
you're right. Trackhouse has one of them, and then the 77 of Justin Haley is the other Spire for now, which is what Calling has purchased for next year. And I haven't even really thought of what you just brought up, Jay, with AJ's competing only part-time, so who's going to be the other driver if they've got two um, charters? So we already know Haley's full-time, but um, y'all are right. I mean, Junior wants to go cup level. Um, if he can make it happen, GMS is now going to be doing it. So these charters are going up, and Trackhouse wants two. So Rick Ware and, uh, I believe, what is it, Petty Ware, which is another charter for for them, Rick Ware, I believe that's all four of their cars. So there's still some options out there, and it sounds like he's going to be a wealthy man here in a few calls. All these teams want to expand. Um, but that's awesome. So that means that there's going to be 40 competitive cars out there every week then going at it. So it'll be some good racing next year, I think. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Well, Jay brought up a good point regarding A.J. Allmendinger being part-time. Just to clarify, it's not the charter and the full-time requirement is not tied to the driver. Rick Ware Racing, we've talked about them a lot, and they run a rotating series of drivers through their four different cars, and that's not a problem with the charter. The charter stipulates that the car, the team, needs to attempt every single race, not necessarily the same driver. So Colleague Racing running A.J. Allmendinger part-time is not a problem for the charter so long as Colleague has another driver or series of drivers that they bring in to make sure that the car attempts every single race. Now, potentially, who could that be? Well, maybe Kaz Grawl would be another potential option or somebody else from the Xfinity series or some developmental drivers or, hate to say it, maybe some pay drivers to help keep the lights on at the shop. I don't know, but I look forward to seeing a little bit more information coming out over the coming months over what colleagues' plans are for their two NASCAR Cup Series teams they'll be fielding next year. Well, and again, I don't have the list of, uh, I don't remember how many charters Spire had. I thought they had three, so they should still be able to hang on to one. And before Tommy gets the chance to, I'm going to bring it up. That was supposedly where Floyd uh, Mayweather uh, money team was supposed to get one of theirs. So uh, that's definitely going to be interesting. But I I like what Tommy said. We should see 40 and I hate to, to say it now that we don't, but, I mean, reality is we don't have 40 competitive teams. With these teams that want to go at it, and we've seen already with Trackhouse, uh, College Racing, they're definitely going to be more competitive than what we see on track right now. So, you know, Sharon mentioned it in the Xfinity and the trucks. We had more teams attempting to qualify than we had starting spots. And maybe NASCAR will look at going back to expanding the field. I know we used to have 43 starters. If we get back to that point, I think they would look at that of, hey, we have those competitive teams now. We'll go back to that, whether they're chartered or not, at least to open up spots so that you aren't sending top competitive teams home on a weekly basis. Okay. Uh, My thoughts on all of this. Uh, I think I read somewhere that Spire – uh, was still trying to keep Coriola Joy in the number seven car for next year. So I think that third charter is going to stay with Spire and Coriola Joy. I was trying to find it where I read that. I don't know if it was a uh, uh, a team release or, or what. Uh, I'm looking for that right now, but I'll see if I can find it before 
uh, we get finished here. Uh, but uh, I think Corey LaJoy is going to be that third charter. Uh, as far as A.J. Allmendinger, I see them doing exactly what Mike was talking about. They're going to fill in with other drivers. And the driver he didn't mention is what about Jeb Burton and giving him an opportunity to race in the Cup Series through Colleague Racing by sharing that ride with A.J. Allmendinger um, and, you know, giving him a chance. Uh, to possibly move up in the cup uh, at some point in the future. So I really like that idea uh, as, a, as a Burton fan, but uh, I, I do think that there's other drivers that they could experiment with as well. Uh, Cass Grala is a good choice. Uh, so I see them, you know, just testing other drivers along with A.J. Allmendinger in that car and may possibly still trying to do whatever they can do in the Cup Series uh, as they continue to build their organization uh, for Cup Series racing. So I see it as a very positive thing, um, and I'm glad that Spire uh, is continuing to stay in the Cup Series with Corey LaJoy. So that's all positive. So, Tommy, what are your wrap-up thoughts? I was just going to add that I was seeing on Twitter and everything the other day, too, that Corey LaJoy will be safe in that seven car. They plan on keeping that and doing that. It was just the 77 and a 99 that got sold to calling. So, um, but yeah, I was thinking that, too. Kaz Grala is, of course, running select few races with them this year. And why not Jeb Burton? That was going to be what I was going to say. They were going to get him groomed and prepped and ready for the uh, – the NASCAR season, or NASCAR season, I mean the uh, cup level, um, in a few years, probably. That would that would be what I would be thinking. And, um, yeah, and then maybe I shouldn't have said uh, 40 competitive cars. Maybe I should have said, like, some of the guys that run in the back will run in the front now, like, uh, competitively, <laughs> I guess. It's like, um, I mean, but. The Benedetto was in that 32 car for years, and now he's in the 21. So, I mean, it, it pays off. Um, and Michael Waltrip always used to run in the back, and then he got in that 15 car. So that's that's the type of stuff I'm saying. I feel like we're going back to that where guys that some days ride in the back on Sundays will now be in the front, which will be awesome. Okay. Yeah, I did see that state from a statement from Spire Motorsports in the last paragraph of their statement. Spire Motorsports said uh, they will sell two of its three charters to Colic Racing. We will continue to field the number seven with Coyle Joy as a chartered entry in 2022 and remain committed to NASCAR and the Cup Series and will continue to look for opportunities to grow and compete in the future. So, uh I think that that uh, is still a very positive thing. I'm glad to see Spire continuing to stay. Okay, so, Mike, let's go with you with the next hot topic. Well, I've got some good news, especially if you're a Chase Elliott fan. Um, 
couple weeks ago, it was reported that spotter Eddie DeHaunt was suspended after being charged with some assault charges in North Carolina. Well, this week, those charges were dismissed, and Eddie DeHaunt was reinstated. DeHaunt spots not only for Chase Elliott in the NASCAR Cup Series, but he also spots for Justin Allgaier's number seven in the NASCAR Xfinity Series and Austin Hill's number 16 in the Camping World Truck Series. DeHaunt was at the track this past weekend spotting for all of those drivers, and it sounds like they put the matter behind him, which is great to see. Okay, Jay, your your thoughts. Well, I know we didn't talk about this as far as a hot topic on the show, or uh, to the best of my knowledge anyway, uh, which I was kind of abstaining from. I know I talked with Andy or chatted with Andy a little bit about it. That is one of those cases of the situation. I don't remember how, how I put it, but to me it wasn't important and not for the fact of what was supposedly or allegedly happened that I didn't care about that issue. It is, to me, that is a personal thing. As it turns out, it wasn't validated, so that's why I don't like to get involved in that. Now, as it pertains to him being suspended from NASCAR, there was a reason for that. If you are involved in any kind of litigation or anything like that, you are to make NASCAR aware of it. And I, I think Mike brought it up in his uh, the post on it of I don't know what their policy on if you come and say you have charges pending against you, if they suspend you immediately then until they're determined, or if they are at least aware of it so when it comes and happens, uh, they know how to react and whatnot. So uh, I think back to Kurt Busch, and I think they learned their lesson from that because they suspended him immediately when charges were brought against him. They were dropped, and they had to come back and reinstate him. So I don't think they would have suspended Eddie if he'd have notified him, which is their procedure, that within, I believe it's 48 hours, you are to notify them so they're aware of it and they don't get blindsided by it. That was the biggest issue from NASCAR's side of it. Okay, Tommy, your thoughts? Uh, I was just glad to see that they were dismissed and then that he was able to get back to the track and that none of that stuff actually happened. Um, so that that was the positive. And then kind of like Jay said, um, but, I mean, it's just like the NFL. I mean, you just anytime that stuff comes out, they're immediately going to get suspended. That's just it's exactly what happens, and it's it's probably the right way to do things. I mean, that shouldn't be tolerated, and they should. That's just the way it should be, in my opinion. And um, I'm glad, though, to see that since it, none of that was true, he's back at the track, and that's the way it should be. Yeah, I think we have to be careful on how we present this because what actually happened is the charges were dropped because the charging parties were not able to provide the evidence uh, that the assault took place. Now, that doesn't mean that the assault didn't take place. It's just that they weren't able to provide that evidence, so they dropped the charges. So um, as a result of that, NASCAR did reinstate Eddie DeHaunt. Uh, and I think it's good that they reinstated him uh, for all the reasons that you brought up. But I think uh, Mike brought up a, a good point. Uh, Eddie DeHunt did not report it. NASCAR said that they, they suspended him or put him on suspension because he did not report. Uh, they didn't give. They didn't say because there was a uh, lawsuit pending. They said that they did it because he had not reported 
the charges that were filed against him. So I have to agree with Jay uh, that that's the reason that they suspended him. Had he reported it, uh, I think they probably would not have suspended him. Now, they did with Kurt Bush, but as you brought up, I think they learned from that experience uh, to, to let's wait and see what happens uh, before they suspend him. And, you know, they ended up having to re, uh, reinstate Kyle Bush or Kurt Bush because uh, it turned out that the charges uh, in that particular case were, were not true. So uh, I do think that uh, uh, Eddie DeHaan would have been better off being honest with NASCAR in the beginning and reporting it. Uh, and I think NASCAR would have kept it quiet. Uh, and, and if somebody reported it, then they deal with it from that first, from that point. But uh, I, I just think that that's the reason he was suspended is because uh, he didn't report it to NASCAR, and there were two charges that were filed against him. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, there's a couple different things here. First of all, hopefully it's a lesson to everybody in social media who is calling for a lifetime ban and permanent suspension and let's just hang the guy now and make sure somebody kicks his dog while you're at it. We can't jump to conclusions in situations like this. No matter how bad something sounds, you have to wait for the facts to come out and for things to happen. So hopefully people who kind of jump the gun with calling for what turned out to be an undue reaction in, in terms of how to handle the situation, hopefully they learn a little bit about let's get a little bit of information before we jump to some conclusions. Now, as mm -hmm. far as the suspension is concerned, this brings up a couple different questions. Like Tommy said, fortunately, we don't see it in NASCAR a lot. Kurt Busch is probably the most notable suspension case that I can think of where something like similar to this happened, and he was immediately suspended. But like Tommy brought up, in other leagues, it seems to be fairly common practice to immediately suspend the individual until the case is taken care of. If that's the case in NASCAR, which is, I don't think there's any published procedure one way or the other, whether they will or whether they won't, it almost seems like Eddie DeHaan did the right thing in terms of his career by breaking the 72-hour rule. If he had, he had to assume that if he had reported it, he would have been suspended. He was charged back in September. If he had reported it then, he would have missed the team's entire playoff run to include the championship as well as the first third of the season, assuming that he would have been suspended for the duration of until the case was resolved. So that kind of sends the message, unfortunately, that if you are in a situation like that, Maybe you do try and roll the dice and keep it to yourself and hope it doesn't come out. I don't necessarily think that's the right message, but it's a very tough position for everyone to be in. NASCAR, they're in the position where if they have one of their competitors, be it a driver, a spotter, or anybody else, in a position of legal trouble with charges that sound pretty serious, and the charges that were brought against Eddie DeHunt were very serious-sounding, they have to be seen to be taking some sort of action or else they're seen to be tolerating behavior like that, which is, of course, inexcusable. At the same time, you can't treat somebody as if they're guilty until they're proven innocent. And especially in criminal cases, it can take months or even years to resolve a case if it goes all the way to trial. So it could have been a matter of ending somebody's career. Say, for example, Martin Truex finds himself in an unfortunate situation He's only got a couple of years left in his career. If he spends two of them on the sidelines waiting for a crime that he never committed to be 
you know, properly brought to justice and he finally ends up being cleared of all charges, well, now he's lost a year or two of the final years of his career. So that's not really a great road to go down either. I don't know what the solution is, but I think having a little bit more of a, an open approach to it of either state, yes, we will suspend you, or no, we will not, and make it very clear going forward, I think that's probably the right way to do it. As in a lot of things, I think transparency would go a long way to improving outcomes. Okay, Terry, your thoughts? Well, you're on the right track, Mike. I think what you said what you said there was Eddie DeHaan assumed that NASCAR would suspend him immediately back in, in September. And that's where the problem comes in. Now, whether or not they have a black and white written policy of if you come to us with something, we're going to suspend you, uh, it might have been a week or two in, until they could do their own research on it. But I think as a whole, again, going back to the Kurt, Kurt Bush situation, that they've been, hey, you're innocent until proven guilty. But if we're aware of it, we can address it and we don't get blindsided by it. Second off, if there are things that need to take place from their end of showing no tolerance, they can do, such as they did with Kyle Larson. They, they offered them the program to help him get back to where he is. Uh, they could have done that with Eddie DeHaan had he come forward with the information so that, again, it doesn't come out publicly like it did. Oh, he's guilty. We're suspending him now. No, they suspended him because he didn't report it to them. So I think that, uh, that you're jumping the gun by saying, oh, he would have been suspended because that's not necessarily true. And I think they have it open for that reason because of the situation of uh, severity of the case or the situation on a case-by-case -case basis, uh, I think, is what comes into play. Okay, Tommy, your wrap-up. Um, y'all did bring up some good points about like the, the ruining careers, but, um, just like Jay said right then with Kyle Larson, there's proof that you, you can kind of come back from it. But, uh, I agree with you guys. I just don't understand why they just, why not just tell the truth and stuff happens when stuff happens and report it. So that way it can be taken care of sooner rather than later. But, um, I mean, Really thinking about it, the only one's career that I can really think of that was truly ruined was Ray Rice's. Like, he never came back. Um, but these other guys, and well, maybe Greg Hardy too for the Panthers. Um, but he does like the um, UFC now. Like he does mixed martial arts and stuff, the MMA I think, or something like that. Uh, but he he fights in that now. And then you got Kareem Hunt that was with the Chiefs, who's now with the Browns. And, I mean, Antonio Brown still plays for the Buccaneers amazingly. So, I mean, I mean it's just – it. they can come back from it. It's just unfortunate that this stuff keeps on happening in, in sports. And we're fortunate that Kurt Busch and this guy are, like, the only two that we've seen. And, well, there was the, the Tony Stewart incident with the, the dirt guy where he got oh, ran over. That was unfortunate, too. But – I mean, other than that, um, NASCAR is pretty pretty safe. So, um, but I feel I just so I think the NFL does a good way of handling it, just suspending them immediately and then reinstating them when it's over. I mean, I know that you guys are right that sometimes it can take years, but it, I don't. It feels like it takes a lot sooner versus later. Okay, um, just to uh, again, pride 
provide some clarity to the conversation here. According to Hickory, North Carolina Police Department's website, DeHunt62 was arrested on May 12th on the North Carolina Judicial Branch's website. DeHunt is scheduled for two court appearances on June 7th, a battery of an unborn child, and June 30th, assault of a woman. Now, um, according to NASCAR's rule book, the second point that I wanted to make here, uh, DeHunt's arrest could also violate Section 12.81.8.1.B, which says a member could be fined and or indefinitely being charged with or convicted of a significant criminal violation. So Jay is right in that um, Eddie DeHunt assumed he would be, uh, but this leaves it open, it does leave it open, it says he could be fined. Now, when they went back and said why they suspended, uh, NASCAR has suspended Eddie DeHunt indefinitely for violation of Section 12.8.1E, member conduct guidelines, and 2.11 required notice. Uh, Section 12.8.1E states, member actions that could result in a fine or indefinite suspension or termination, being charged with or convicted of significant criminal violations, domestic violence, violence, trafficking, assault, or having had determinations rendered by criminal or civil authorities that in NASCAR's judgment necessitate action. NASCAR will not prejudge guilt or innocence in the criminal or civil legal system or the guilt or innocence of the member, but rather review each matter in its own context and circumstances with regard to its potential effects upon the sport. Section 2.11 required notice. Any NASCAR member charged with any violation of the law, misdemeanor, and or felony shall notify NASCAR prior to the next scheduled event or within 72 hours of being so charged whichever is earlier. So keep in mind, too, that Hendrick Motorsports, not NASCAR, but in their statement, they said, we became aware of the situation this morning and have immediately and indefinitely suspended Mr. Donat's role with our company. We are taking this matter very seriously and will continue to seek additional information about the alleged incident. So... um, I think that they made it really clear that they will take it into consideration and how it affects the sport. So um, I see what your point is, Mike, but at the same time, he has to remember that part of the reason that they did suspend him when they took the whole picture into consideration, the fact that he was not forthcoming with them, uh, within 72 hours of being arrested, uh, that that has to be taken into consideration. Uh, they he more or less made the decision for them and left them no other choice but to suspend him at that point when he did not report to them what was going on. So I do think that the door was open there for NASCAR to maybe make a different choice. Would they? I don't know. 
again, they would have to look at the entire situation and make their uh, decision based on the information that they have it on hand. But they're, you know, you're you're assuming you're talking about other people making assumptions, that's an assumption as well, because I think NASCAR did leave that door open, that it had he come to them and told them, they may have made a different decision. So that's just what I'm going to add to the conversation here. So you get the last word, Mike. Sharon, well, if I, oh, okay. Um, Jay, go ahead. I'll, I'll close it up when you were done. Yeah, well, just so, just so you can, sh- I can show that the, that's the case. Tommy mentioned the Tony Stewart deal. Tony Stewart was mm-hmm. not suspended during any of his legal litigation. He opted to not drive at the cup level and put somebody else in that car, but NASCAR did not suspend him during his entire time of that litigation. I just wanted to point that out. That's a good point. Um so there's a couple things here. Jay brought up the Kyle Larson incident, but I see that as being a very, very different circumstance. Uh, Kyle Larson did not commit a crime. He used very offensive and distasteful language, but he was never charged with a crime. And as soon as those words left his lips, the situation was over. He didn't have to wait for a court date. He didn't need to do anything beyond whatever consequences need to be handled from that moment forward. So equating it to the Kyle Larson situation, I think, is a little bit different. The other big difference with Tony Stewart is he was never charged criminally in the matter. It was a civil matter, and that, uh, with the rules that Sharon cited, that does not cover civil litigation, which is a very big difference from criminal litigation. Now, in the case well, of Eddie so DeHart, I think Kurt Busch was actually uh, charged with domestic violence briefly until it was uh, until they found that the charges were baseless. I could be wrong on that, but Tony, I, I believe there was a criminal charge there briefly. Um, Tony Stewart was way, also a criminal charge. Those were dismissed. They continued it and prosecuted under the civil side. That's correct. Well, fair enough then. I, I, I guess I was incorrect on that. Um, either way. Uh, I like that Sharon quoted the rule book there, and I think that's, that's an important thing to look at. As far as going forward in the future, I think there's some lessons to be learned on, on pretty much all parts. On individual member sides, have some sort of an idea of where you're going to – where you stand. First of all, don't get in trouble with the law, obviously. And secondly, figure out what the position is going to be of the organization, both in terms of NASCAR as well as the team that you work for, and make the very best decision going forward from there. On NASCAR's part, I still would like to see a little bit more clarity. And I I get that it's in their discretion. I get that they're going to evaluate the situation. But I think a little bit more clarity would go a long way in terms of of informing decisions that people might have to make in unfortunate circumstances. Not every situation is the same, and they have to look at the bigger picture. If you think about Kyle Larson's situation, take the current environment kind of called for some kind of action. And keep in mind that his sponsors were pulling out. Chip Ganassi Racing pulled back. They released him. So NASCAR really had no choice at that point but to let him go as well. So they have to take a look at the whole picture, and no situation is exactly the same. So I have to give them credit for leaving that door open and and being able to evaluate the situation based on the current environment and exactly what's happening in that particular situation. So just just some additional thought there. Sometimes you can be so 
precise that it doesn't take into an account a specific situation. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to, let's see, I guess it's Jay's turn for the next hot topic. Well, my hot topic has to do with on-track racing action, and we've talked about this at, at both levels, uh, to include now the truck series having the most competitive and best racing on the track. Grant Enfinger missed a race due to his <laughs> part-time schedule with a particular team. He hasn't missed one since and currently sits sixth in points in the Camping World Truck Series, where they take the top ten into the playoffs. I understand NASCAR's rule of you have to attempt every race, but they did ask for a waiver and have apparently been denied that. Uh, what the thoughts are on that? Okay, Tommy, you get the first word on this. Uh, is he can continue to race in the other car when he's not in um, his other car that he's sharing this year with Christian Eck is he should be allowed to race in the playoffs, in my opinion. I mean, Newman and Kyle Busch missed some. I know it was for injuries, but they still granted it and passed it, and Kyle Busch ended up winning the championship. I mean, Ryan Newman, I don't think he made the playoffs last year, but he was he was close. I feel like he was borderline like he usually is on the, the cusp of getting in the playoffs. Um, always a threat to win, even though he's kind of riding mid-pack, but any. Anyway, um, yeah, he should be allowed to race in the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, Josh Berry, I know he's been trying to get into some other rides, but I don't think he'll be able to compete like Grant uh, Enfinger will because he's in that other car just as much as he's in his primary car, I guess, this year that he's sharing with Christian Eckes. So I think maybe NASCAR should rethink that decision. I didn't realize that he was so high up there in the points, um, I mean, you would think that they would want, want it to be competitive. Okay. Mike, your thoughts? Well, I've expressed this before. I think this is somewhere that where the, the, there should be some adjustment in terms of, of playoff eligibility. I understand the intention to try and to, to force drivers to attempt every single race. Unfortunately, due to circumstances beyond their control, in the case of Grand Enfinger, for example, it's not possible for them to attempt every single race. With that said, I think where an adjustment could potentially be made is raising the bar and then allowing drivers who don't necessarily have the opportunity to attempt every single race to still be able to make the playoffs. Instead of making it the 30th place in points and attempt every race cutoff and make that absolute, well, maybe make the cutoff, hey, you need to be in the top 20 in points or something along those lines plus a win, and then even if you don't attempt every single race, you're still playoff eligible. Something along those lines I think would be a meaningful adjustment that would give drivers like Grant Enfinger an opportunity without really breaking the whole system and, and making it unfair or allowing guys to just kind of sit out and, and you know, ride the bench for the summer after they've already asserted playoff uh, eligibility. Okay. Um, again, I think we have to look at the whole picture here. I, I think if Grant Infinger, as much as I would love to see Grant Infinger in the playoffs, I think if he had a victory under his belt, then NASCAR would look at it differently and perhaps grant him that waiver. In fact, if he gets a, a victory in these next three races, uh, I think if I were him, I would go back and ask again 
and see if NASCAR would grant the waiver. And I'm I'm guessing, I don't know, but uh, I'm guessing that NASCAR would grant the waiver if he had a win under his belt. Uh, the fact that he doesn't have the win, I think, is what is working against him in getting that waiver. I think in every waiver that they've given so far, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe in every waiver that's been given so far, there are wins that have been involved, and and that's why they granted the waiver. Uh, so to me, that's I, I want to see Grant Jenfinger in the in the um, uh, playoffs because I think he's a very competitive driver. I think last year he got robbed of with I think it what was it a blown motor or something, uh, and he was out in the very first race of the playoffs. Um, so I, I just uh, I think NASCAR owes him one, uh, if you will, and I would like to see them grant the waiver. But I think that the reason he's not being granted it is because he doesn't have a victory. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Uh, I do have to correct you because I mentioned uh, Ryan Newman and Matt Kenseth taking over for uh, Kyle Larson in the 42 team. Matt Kenseth was granted the waiver. His was not due to injury. It was due to being coming into the team late into the season or four races, whatever it was, into the season. I don't remember how. Uh, two or four. One, Newman was four and uh, Kenseth was two. So they, they have the door open. They said that, that the, the request and uh, approval is at their discretion. So that door is open. Generally, if it is due to injury, it is almost a guarantee because that was beyond the driver's control. This one I can't, to me, is still beyond the driver's control that, that the team decided to uh, split the split the uh, number 98 ride between him and Christian Eckes. He missed that first race. He didn't have the opportunity to find another ride. Since then, he has and has been competitive, even in a not always competitive ride. So I think that is a, is a huge factor. And their eligibility rules is a win or be in the top for the Truck Series 10 in points. He is meeting that. He is almost in the top half. And week in and week out, no matter which ride he is in, he is running competitively in the top ten. So to me, that's the factor. The other thing is, during the broadcast when I brought this up, the, the truck series practice as well as the race, all of the broadcasters, the industry, seemed to feel that he should be given that uh, waiver, uh, that they were surprised that NASCAR had denied it. So to me, it's not just like I'm a fan and I want to see Grant in. That seems oh, like no. everybody within the industry um, is, is behind it because, again, what's that? I said I think everybody wants to see him in. Right, but it's not just about him being a fan favorite. It, it's, he is running competitively, uh, like Mike said. I, the intent of the rule, I understand the intent of the rule, and I do like to see that aspect of it. You, you can't come in. And I, and I hate to use A.J. Allmendinger, but if he's part-time next year, he wins a road course race or an oval, whichever he wins on, to then be eligible. Uh, in the Xfinity Series, Ty Gibbs and Josh Berry, I would not be in favor of them getting in because they've only run about half of the races. Josh Berry may be a little bit more than Ty Gibbs, but truthfully, that is one where they haven't been week in and week out. Uh, so I'd be a little more apt to decline that one. But Grant Enfinger has gone out and made it happen where he is still in the points. He's not banking on a win where he's outside but getting to get in because of the win that he got. 
So to me, Grant deserves it more. He is competitive up there uh, in points, so thus belongs there. Not a one-one race here and just didn't finish the rest of the races. Even showed up or and worked or uh, whatever and riding on just that win. And I'm not saying Josh Berry or Ty Gibbs are doing that. I mean, they've been competitive when they've been out there, but it does prevent the the uh, the one-off win, whether it be by fuel mileage. You know, Justin Haley, I go back to when he won that one. Uh, I wouldn't have necessarily been in favor had he been out the top of the top 30 of him getting into the playoffs either for that same reason. Grant Infinger is still there week in and week out being competitive. Okay, Tommy. I was going to say, I feel like I remember Infinger was in the championship four last year, definitely in the top eight from what I remember. So, And the fact that he's only missed one race, if he can get a finish out the rest of the season without missing a race, I just feel like he should be granted the waiver because he is he is competitive. He's usually in the top 10, 15 every race uh, in the truck series. And but I do think you're right, Sharon, that if he had a win, it would make his case a whole lot better, um, and they would probably grant it um, because I feel like John Hunter Nemechek is just dominating, this, dominating it with all the wins and everything. Um so yeah, that's pretty much all I got to add. But uh Josh Josh Berry and Ty Gibbs, I think Jay's right. Since they can't compete full time, it's not really fair if they were granted waivers and I agree with that. But Infinger only missing one race and being competitive like he is, and if he gets a win and he asks again, I think they gotta let him in because he was in it last year, if I remember correctly. Okay, yeah, you're right, by the way. He was in the last year, so it must have been the year before that he was out real quick. So, Mike, your follow-up? Well, for me, the most, imp- uh, the most impressive thing with Grant Enfinger is he's essentially spotted the field of race. He didn't show up. Well, he, he, he may have been at the track, but he, he did not attempt all of the races. He didn't earn any points in that race. He's still six in points. He's beating all but five other drivers in the NASCAR truck series in points, even without a win. And I think that's probably even more impressive than if he were to get a win and just kind of hang around above the cutoff line in terms of points eligibility. Yes, wins are important, wins are impressive, but to a certain extent, consistent, strong performance is even more impressive, especially considering the point situation that he's in where he had a race where he didn't score any points, and he's still ahead of all but five other drivers in that series. So even without a win, uh, well, if he's sitting sixth in points, he's got five ahead of him. If I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm not doing my math uh, perfectly most of the time. But anyway, either way, he's still well above the points cutoff line for the playoffs, even without a win. So for me, I think that that's a strong enough case right there to merit a consideration for a playoff waiver, even if he doesn't get that win before the end of the regular season. Now, I kind of beat this drum a lot about transparency and clarity, and I get that NASCAR wants a certain level of discretion and not all situations are the same and so on, but I think this is another situation where if they want to put up a, a hard and fast rule of if you can point your way into the playoffs, you're not going to do that by missing half the races. You're not going to do that by winning one race and then riding in the back for the other 25 races. So if you point your way into the playoffs in any of these top three series, I think that merits consideration for a waiver, win or not. 
Okay, and and you know I, I'm with you guys. I want to see Grant Jenfinger in the playoffs, um, but I'm just saying that I think Na- what I think NASCAR is looking at, uh, and I think if he had a win, he'd have a much stronger argument to be in the playoffs, and that NASCAR may consider letting them into the playoffs if he had that win. Uh, I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think Grant Infinger is a very competitive driver. I think he deserves to be in the playoffs. I would love to see him be in the playoffs. Uh, but I think I think we've got to consider what NASCAR is looking at, and the fact that he doesn't have a win, I think, is, is what's holding him back. Um, the only way we can prove that out is if he gets a win in the next three races and requests the waiver, and we'll see if NASCAR gives it to him then uh, once he has that win. Uh, and I'm not sure if I'm misreading what you were saying, Mike, but he is in sixth place, so four drivers. He's ahead of four drivers and 59 points away from the cutoff line. So uh, there are five other drivers that are doing better than he is, uh, but four drivers that he's doing better than they are doing. So and they have had they've got all of the races under their belt and he has one less race under his belt. So um I, I just think that um the win is what's making the difference from NASCAR's point of view. Uh I, I agree with everybody. I'd love to see him be given that waiver and to be put into the playoffs, but I just think it's not happening because he doesn't have a win. So Jay? Well, Mike, Mike reiterated my point from that different perspective. Look at what he has done. One less race, he has pointed his way in. It yep. would be different if he had that win, had a win, and we're sitting down in 20th or 25th in points just above the, the total point cut line. He has pointed his way in uh, into the almost the top half of the eligibility field. Uh, to argue your point, Sharon, if he is not allowed in, who gets in? And I, and I hate to say it this way, but Johnny Sauter would be the one to get in then. He doesn't have a win. Who's been more competitive, Grant Infinger or Johnny Sauter? I think that's yeah, what you really Chandler want to look Smith. at. Actually, it would be Chandler Well, Ch- Smith. Chandler, Chandler Smith, right. They're all there on that bubble, but uh, right now Chandler is the one that is in if uh, Grant gets pushed out. Um, but, yeah, Johnny Sauter and, and Chandler Smith. So that's what I look at when I talk about – what's the best competitive on-track field of cars you can have? And right now it, it is Grant Enfinger and not Johnny Sauter. I think that's a good point. <laughs> okay, uh, let's go on to the next hot topic, Tommy. Let's go with uh, what Mike posted on Reddit about Joe Gibbs possibly going to two or three cars in the Xfinity Series next year. Who who is going to three cars? Joe Gibbs, sorry. Oh, Joe Gibbs. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Okay, Mike. Well, to clarify, this is 
what, second, third, maybe even fourth-hand information. Where this came from, I saw a post on Reddit uh, earlier today, and uh, a user on Reddit was listening to one of the radio shows on Sirius XM Radio, and Larry McReynolds was a guest there. Larry McReynolds said that he had heard through his grapevine, which I would say Larry's grapevine is probably pretty solid, that Joe Gibbs Racing is strongly considering downsizing their Xfinity operation for next year. Didn't say clearly whether it was going to go down to a three-car or a two-car or a one-car operation, but there is a potential for Joe Gibbs Racing to downsize in the Xfinity series for next season and beyond. With that in mind, the question becomes, who, who makes the cut and who doesn't? Right now, Joe Gibbs Racing has three full-time drivers and one rotational car. The 54 is Kyle Busch and various other drivers, Martin Truex, Ty Gibbs, and a few others who rotate in and out of that car. Uh, and then you have uh, Brandon Jones in the 19 full-time, Harrison Burton in the 20 full-time, and Daniel Hemrick in the 18 full-time. If any of those drivers were to not make the cut, I don't know who it would be. You can make a strong case for some. You can make a, a strong case for someone to maybe not come back. Daniel Hemmick, for example, has never won in the series. He's been competitive at times, but he seems to find a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory more times than not. Brandon Jones has won a few races, but he tends to underperform his equipment. And Harrison Burton has been strong, especially last year, but this year it's hard to argue that he hasn't taken a big step back. So I'm interested to see what everyone else thinks with regard to if Joe Gibbs were to downsize the Xfinity Series operation, who may or may not be on that cutting block. Okay, Jay. Well, if I had to speculate on this, and and initially I was going to say, uh, you know, normally where there's smoke, there's fire. I consider Reddit to be cigarette smoke, not an actual fire smoke. Uh, However, (laughs) if it came through a medium of Larry McReynolds, uh, you're right, that's a pretty strong source, but that's the only place we've even seen it uh, talked about or rumored about. If I had to go with speculation on it, I would think that they are probably looking at the cutting of the all-star car. Uh, Mike referenced a rotation of drivers. And I say that because, as it is right now, Kyle Busch has made the statement of he hits 100 wins, he's done racing. He hit that 100-win mark. He has made the statement nothing has been signed as far as next year's commitments to any sponsors. He will finish out this year with the two races he was scheduled because he made sponsor commitments. They don't have that net for next year. With that We've seen a couple other one-off or two-off starts by other cup drivers from the Joe Gibbs organization, but not like Kyle Busch commits to. So if they're going to take away that all-star car, yeah, that would be a decrease, at least not have it full-time. So I think we'll still see the three full-time teams, whether they change drivers or you know one of or two of them move up or somewhere else, that's a possibility, but I think they'll still have the three full-time teams. I think it's the all-star team that's on the cutting block as far as running full-time. I think another key word that we need to keep in mind when we're thinking about this is that Larry McReynolds says that Joe Gibbs racing, quote-unquote, considering. So that doesn't mean that they're going to do it. They're looking at it. They're thinking about it. Uh, but what Jay says makes the most sense to me. With Kyle Busch getting his 100th win, saying that he probably won't race in the Xfinity Series again once that happens. Uh, yeah, he's going to fulfill his two commitments that he has for this year. But that doesn't mean that he's going to come back and race next year. 
So that would be the car that I think that they would let go. Um, and then they would go from a four-car operation to a three-car operation. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's to be determined because I don't know where Harrison Burton, Daniel Hemrick, or Brandon Jones are supposed to go. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing is already pretty well filled up. And I, Toyota really, um, the, the affiliate thing has not really worked out well for Joe Gibbs Racing. So I'm not sure where those drivers are supposed to go except for the Xfinity Series. Uh, maybe they're not having banner years. Maybe another year in Xfinity Series would be good for all three of those teams. Um, I, I hear what Mike's saying about uh, their longevity, but we've seen all of those guys win races. We've seen, uh, with the exception of Henry who's never won a race, uh, but he has been competitive. Uh, in that car. So I, I don't see a reason to let any of them go. I think that I think it would be a good idea to have all three of those cars race in the Xfinity Series for another year and maybe give them a one or two race-off opportunity in the Cup Series uh, in the coming year. But I think we have to remember this is something that's being considered, not something that's been written in stone. So, Tommy, what are your thoughts? Uh, my bold prediction, I guess. I mean, it's speculation since this is just up in the air and it, this is just a might be. But my feelings would be Ty Gibbs and Harrison Burton are your two full-time drivers, and the third car is your all-star lineup. And Brandon Jones and Hemrick are the odd man out. But I do want to bring up John Hunter Nemechek. Um, I know that mm-hmm. Kyle Busch Motorsports isn't Joe Gibbs Racing, but I feel like there's got to be an alliance there, and he's a Toyota. And I feel like he did win in the Xfinity Series already, John Hunter Nemechek, and he's going to be in the 54 car some this year too. So if he's pulling off a win in that, and he doesn't go cup again next year or wherever he goes, what his plans are. There's that's just another seat that needs to be filled somewhere. But I do feel like it would be Gibbs, Burton, and then an all-star lineup in, another, in, in the other car if they go to three cars. But as for Harrison Burton, though, interestingly, I mean, he who's going to compete with Cindric as a rookie is what I want to know. I feel like right now it's just Cindric. There's a bunch of new seats, and somebody's going to get a promotion out of the Xfinity Series with Centric. We just don't know who it's going to be yet. But I don't – maybe – I mean, I feel like Burton and Jones, like Sharon said, Burton, Jones, and Henrik still need another year, I feel like, in the Xfinity Series. Because Harrison won four last year, I believe, and then this year he hasn't – I mean, he's been competitive in some races, but he's not being really consistent, I would say. And Jones and Hemrick, I just feel bad for Hemrick. He's either going to be in second, almost about to win it, or wrecked out. That's just unfortunate for him, but that's what I see every weekend. Okay, some good points. Mike? 
I tend to agree with Tommy on this one. Uh, I think that Ty Gibbs is, I wouldn't say a sure thing. Obviously, nothing has been announced, but I don't see Ty Gibbs racing trucks next year. I think Ty Gibbs is going to skip the truck series and go straight to the Xfinity series. His performance and his limited opportunities in the Joe Gibbs 54 car this year, with two wins so far and several more races left to go in the remainder of the year, it kind of says that Ty Gibbs is probably ready for the Xfinity level already. So, as far as the three full-time drivers at Joe Gibbs Racing, Brandon Jones has a reputation as a pay driver, and I think if the checks continue to clear, he may be in a kind of a Michael Annette situation where, with a, a net uh, position at, at Junior Motorsports where so long as they pay for the car, he can race it as long as he would like. Uh, I agree with Tommy that Harrison Burton is probably not ready to move up to the Cup Series. If he had continued to develop the way he did last year and built on that performance for another strong run this year, it'd be a different story. But I think there's been a little bit of regression with Harrison Burton to the point where it's difficult to make a strong case that he merits going up to the Cup Series, at least in a level comparable to a Joe Gibbs racing car. He might end up in a Cup ride next year for say Gaunt Brothers or an equivalent like that. He's already got one start with the team this year. But I don't see Harrison Burton moving full-time either into a second 2311 car or some other top-level Toyota-type team at the Cup Series level next year. Unfortunately, I think the ship has sailed for Daniel Hemrick. Uh, I've heard nothing but nice things said about him. He's a a stand-up guy. I don't know him personally, but I've never heard an unkind word said about Daniel Hemrick. But at some point... He's been handed so many different opportunities between Joe Gibbs Racing, Richard Childress Racing, Junior Motorsports, and others. And, yes, he's been competitive at times, but winning – you've got to win races. You've got to capitalize on opportunities. And at some point, Daniel Hemrick has not capitalized on those opportunities for whatever reason. And I think he's probably in the weakest position to continue at Joe Gibbs Racing. So I'm with Tommy. I think it's going to be Harrison Burton and Ty Gibbs full-time at Joe Gibbs Racing, potentially Brandon Jones if he continues to self-finance, and then maybe in a part-time ride with the 54 car for either all-stars or if it's, you know, Cup Series drivers who want to come down and race at the Xfinity level or some other uh, one-off developmental-type drivers like Ty Gibbs is doing this year in the 54 car. I think we see the 54 go part-time next year. Okay. Okay. You want well, to do the, uh, the announcement first? Yeah, yep. I better make the announcement. <laughs> okay, for all of our uh, new listeners, uh, we make an announcement at this time of the night because we go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and we don't want you to be caught off guard with the fact that we're going off air while we're mid-sentence talking uh, about some of these hot topics. So we just want you to know we will continue recording the rest of the conversation even after we go off there. And that part of the conversation is available on our podcast as part of our bonus overtime material. So if you've listened up to this point, all you have to do uh, is when I go out on Twitter to let you know that the podcast is uh, out, then you just fast forward to the two-hour mark and then you can hear the rest of our conversation. Again, we do this announcement every week at this time just so that uh, any new listeners aren't caught off guard with us going off air while we're still in conversation. Okay, so now, Jay, you can finish your – go ahead with your thoughts. Well, some interesting things there, and it's got to start with we don't know. Uh, Obviously, if they're considering it, I'm sure sponsorship finances is one thing. 
the one thing I think we do all agree with is we're going to see Kai Gibbs full-time in the Xfinity Series next year. Uh, I know that they increased his part-time schedule already for this year uh, based on putting some additional sponsorship in how he has run. So I agree with that. I don't think we're going to see him in a truck a truck series. Uh, he will be in the Xfinity Series, and he has shown he is capable of it and uh, what he can do there. So uh, lock that one in pretty much. Other than that, you know, we've said it. It's kind of speculation. Uh, I wouldn't rule out them staying in the four-car team and all four being full-time, truthfully, Uh, and then an additional fifth all-star race when needed or spot racing. I think the key is going to be of who does get the call to cup. And and I say that, uh, again, we don't know anything for certain, but the 2311 team looking to become a two-car team being the Toyota team. Right now, John Hunter Nemechek making a strong case uh, with what he's doing in the trucks uh, of coming back to the Cup Series. Uh, I know you guys mentioned Harrison Burton probably needs another year possibly in the Xfinity Series. Uh, We've seen this in the past, though. The need versus uh, whether or not it happens isn't always the case. So it could be possible that Harrison moves up and somebody else slides into that ride or... um, that's the one that Ty Gibbs goes into. I wouldn't rule it out that he does go full-time next year with a Toyota team one way or another. So once we, uh, once we get official word, uh, then it'll become a little more interesting as to how it'll play out. At this point, being that we don't know, it's just being considered. Uh, I don't know what to say because, like I said, I can see it being anywhere from two to four. Okay, yeah, you guys made some really good points, and Tommy, you bringing up Ty Gibbs, which I totally overlooked, uh, is a really good point. Uh, I think Ty Gibbs is definitely going to be in one of those seats full-time for next year, Um, and uh, uh, that would be Ty Gibbs, Harrison Burton, Brandon Jones, that's three right there, Uh, and Hamrick being the third, or John Hunter Nemechek being the fourth guy. Uh, but I, I like the point of John Hunter Nemechek maybe going to the 2311 as well as a possibility. Um, uh, and I think he is making a really good case for himself uh, racing with Cowbush Motorsports this year in the truck series. Uh, chances are he's going to end up with a championship uh, in that series. It's not a given because we've seen all kinds of things happen. Uh, but he's uh, really put on a good show so far this season, uh, with Nashville being the exception. So, man, I, I think we're we're seeing what Go, Joe Gibbs is going through as they consider the possibility of uh, whether or not they're going to go back. But I think I, I almost feel like we're making the case for them to have uh, all four cars. And I see them if they're going to if they're if they're going to drop any. I see them only dropping one of those cars and not two. Um, but I think we're making the case that they, they really need to keep all four cars uh, possibly running. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Tommy? I just want to add on to what y'all are saying about John Hunter and Nemechek going to that 2311 car. But I, I feel that Burton, Harrison Burton would be another option for it too just because who's going to be the other rookie with Cindric. Um mm-hmm. Cindric's probably the guy out for sure. Um, but yeah, Toyota, there's just, there's so many good, talented drivers, I feel like, but there's just not enough open seats. But 
the cup level seems like it's getting competitive and more seats are opening, so maybe somebody's going to get the call in the Xfinity Series this year. But I also wanted to add, um, since we're just talking about the speculation and stuff and everything, and I want to just throw in another hot take, I guess. Another team that you can consider with Joe Gibbs like this, talking about moving guys around in the Xfinity level, I think Junior's probably going to be doing the same thing next year. I feel like the only one that might truly be really safe is Allgaier. And maybe even Michael Annette Graxon might their seats might be getting warm for Josh Berry and Sam Mayer. I know it's just my opinion and it's nothing's came out. We're just speculating. I'm just saying Josh Berry had very few races in one. Michael Annette's been in that one car forever and has only had a handful of wins that I can remember. And now you got Sam Mayer who's even younger and he's been in the truck like twice and he's got a win. I mean NASCAR's becoming the what have you done for me lately sport, and they're putting <laughs> wins in, so I feel like the seats are getting hot. There you go. Some more hot seats. Okay. Um, let's see. Do we want to go another topic, Mike? Do you have another topic? I do have one if you want to, uh, if you want to spend the time on it. Okay, go ahead. I'm a little bit well, better off so- tonight than I have been. All right. Well, good to hear. Uh, The Associated Press ran an article today, and it highlighted the fact that Tony Stewart was at Nashville this past weekend, and it's the first time that he's been at a racetrack since before the COVID break. Now, obviously, there's been issues in terms of trying to limit the number of personnel at the track, especially for non-essential personnel and whatnot. So it's obviously not all Tony Stewart choosing not to be at these races, but it kind of highlighted the perception that maybe there's a, a little bit of a leadership vacuum at the top of Stuart Haas Racing. Gene Haas's focus tends to be more on the Formula One side of the house, and Tony Stewart has put a lot of time and effort into standing up the SRX series, as well as his personal relationship having just been engaged a, a few months ago. So the question is, is there a leadership vacuum at the top of Stuart Haas Racing, and do you think that that's what's contributing to some of their on-track struggles? Okay, Jay. I don't. I don't. Th- I don't think it is is a leadership. I think they got some good good people in place. I know that uh, when we talk about different owners, uh, Rick Hendrick being one one of the most uh, known as far as being hands on and involved directly with his race team, as well as Joe Gibbs Racing. But we've seen it in the past of Joe Gibbs going back to football and having some outside interest. Roger Penske. Penske spends a lot with IndyCar. Obviously owns the track Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway now. Uh, so I don't know that you necessarily have to have that head figure there if you have the right key personnel in place. I think uh, Mike's second note there of, and I brought this up before, Fords as well as the uh, Stuart Haas Racing specifically, the adjustment NASCAR made or the rule change they, that they said we're tired of watching the gray area or whatever in the wheel wells really affected that team. And I think it's, it's clear across the board, starting with Kevin Harvick. Nine wins last mm-hmm. year, none yet so far this year. Now they are on the upturn. We've seen that at the All-Star Race and this past weekend at Nashville. Uh, I think they're on the upturn and kind of getting it righted. I think that kind of put them behind that they weren't prepared to have to uh, deal with that or have found the right way to adjust to it to have the speed that they've had in the past. Uh, You know, Kevin Harvick still takes whatever he's got to a top 10 finish, 
but we're used to seeing him win with that versus the top ten. So I think as they get that figured out, I think that's where you're going to see it come uh, come full circle with them. Uh, so I don't necessarily, and I'm not in the shop, I don't know who's there on a day-to-day basis or at the track. Obviously, you mentioned COVID played a role in that, uh, but that did for all teams, and we haven't seen the effect on that of on other teams. And like I said, I think about Roger Penske. Penske is not one that's always at every race, so I don't think that's uh, Chip Ganassi, another one. I know he's uh, in and out as well. So I don't see that as being an issue. Um, but we also know, like I said, Hendrick is one that is very hands-on, and they're at the top of their game right now. Okay, Tommy? Um, Stuart Haas is definitely struggling this year, and um, I'm thinking that right on the same page as you guys, basically. I know that the owners don't have to be there in order for their teams to be successful, but I'm just thinking about my my own job that I have and everything and my previous jobs I've had. The way things are a lot smoother and a lot better when the bosses are there and they're working and, you know, you're working and, you know, the morale's high and everything. And I don't know what's going on at Stuart Haas, but either all four cars are in the top ten and running good or they're all in the back totaled and just one car is competing, and that's Harvick. Consistently, I feel like Harvick's the only one that's in the top 10, 15 every week for them. Every now and then you'll see Briscoe, Custer, and Almirola on a good run, and then I'll later on in stage two or three, I'll look and boom, Almirola and Custer and Briscoe are back in 28th position around there. I, I don't know what's going on, um, but it does seem like Stewart is a lot more invested in SRX and being engaged right now and everything, but I mean, that's understandable, and, I mean, he's doing what's best for his life and stuff. I'm sure Stuart Haas will figure it out. I mean, they'll get it turned around. They dominated last year, and I think they're vital to the sport. I don't see them going anywhere. As a said, they're going through a rough patch at the moment. But I want to add, too, I don't know what's going on here recently, but this past month and a half or maybe even two now, going on, let's just say, I guess, going on two months, definitely going on for the past month, Chevy has been dominating. When I was looking at, like, the starting lineup and qualifying and looking at the top ten on Sunday, like, eight out of the top ten cars were just Chevy, and Suarez is one of them. A new team is just out there running ahead of Joey Logano and Kevin Harvick and Blaney and all those Fords that were at the top. I just feel like Chevy's just creaming everybody right now, and there's just nothing that Ford can really do to catch up or Toyota. The only one that's really competing, it's pretty much going to be Kyle Busch versus Chase Elliott versus um, Kyle Larson and then versus maybe one other guy that's probably going to break through. And, I mean, look at Denny Hamlin. He's got the points, but he doesn't have the wins, and he's not. I haven't really seen him in the top five and ten in the past couple races. It's just been a straight-up Chevy-dominating race. Okay, a um, couple of points that I want to make, but before I do that, uh, I saw a tweet from Jeff Gluck today, and he said, I really enjoyed this one and it's from AP Sports, uh, and a column written by Jenna Fryer. She says, Tony Stewart and Gene Haas haven't been at the track much while SHR scuffled through the season. Smoke says he's flattered by the notion 
that he can somehow make the cars go faster. Uh, I think Jay made a good point that we've seen other team owners not be at the track, and it doesn't necessarily mean that their cars aren't uh, performing. Uh, the, maybe maybe they would perform better if the owners were there. I don't know. But um, right now, uh, Chevrolet seems to be on top of their game. There, there's no doubt about that. And a lot of these cars are not as competitive. I kind of get the feeling that Ford has kind of moved on. They've kind of written this year off, if you will, uh, as a kind of an off year for them because they're looking forward to the next year when the new car comes out. And I think uh, somebody asked Harvick about this last year at one of the media things, and and he said, we're going to be ready when the new car comes out in 2022. So I I don't – he didn't – he was pretty confident when he talked about that. And so I, I just kind of get a feeling that they've written this year off, uh, so to say, as um, – uh, 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 it's just going to be a one-off year. And take into consideration what Jay said, too, about them being caught with the wheel wells and all of a sudden all of the winds stopped happening. Uh, so I, I think that those two things uh, are affecting the year that Stuart Haas Racing is having, more so than Tony Stewart not being at the track or Gene Haas not being at the track. Um I, I get uh, Tommy's point as well. Uh, I think for most people, being at the track uh, or having the boss there, everybody performs better. I think that when they brought Kevin Harvick in, uh, Kevin Harvick is a previous team owner, uh, and he I think he was brought into that organization to be a team leader, and I think he has been that. We've heard Cole Custer say, uh, that he's learned a lot from drivers like, well, last year, Clint Boyer and, and from Kevin Harvick, uh, and that Kevin Harvick has spent time with him um, as, as a new driver within that organization. Um, and and we do see glimpses that Stuart Haas Racing this past weekend was a good example of it, uh, that they're starting to get that ship turned around in spite of the fact that Tony Stewart hasn't been at the track. So I, I think that there's a lot of factors playing into why Stuart Haas Racing isn't uh, on top of their game this year. Um, but based on what Kevin Harvick said last year, I just get the feeling that they're preparing more for next year, the 2022 season. Uh, and they were caught kind of with their pants down, if you will, for this season. So for for you know, the fact that they got caught with the wheel wheels and, and everything else. So, Mike, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Well, I really like Tommy's point about the boss being present. Now, obviously, Gene and Tony aren't the ones turning the wrenches. They're not the ones running the dino shop or anything like that. But the presence of the boss says that the boss cares. If the team was doing really, really well, the boss not being around, it wouldn't be as big of a deal. But when the team is struggling and the boss is still not around, but you see him doing other things, it raises a question about priorities. Is the Stuart Haas Racing NASCAR Cup Series program a priority for Gene Haas when he's at the Formula One races all the time? It's, maybe, maybe not. Is the Cup Series program a priority for Tony Stewart when he's putting so much time and effort into SRX? 
I don't know, maybe not. But it creates that perception of, well, maybe the boss doesn't care, so why should I care? I'm not saying that that's what's going on, but I'm saying that that's a perception that's not unique to racing or any other organization. I've seen it in the military. I've seen it in the, in the civilian world where if an organization is struggling and the boss shows up, that shows that the boss cares and it motivates everyone. Hey, if the boss cares, I care. And the other way around is just as true. If the organization is struggling and the boss shows that that's not really a priority for them, it calls into question how much of a priority it needs to be for somebody else. We're talking about professionals at the top level of stock car racing here. So I don't want to put too much suspicion behind their motivations or anything like that, but there is something to be said about the perception when the boss is not around when an organization is struggling. With regard to the, the tech inspections or the wheel wells, they were never caught cheating. Um, there were issues at the beginning of last season with the caving in roofs where the teams did have some, uh, some points penalties. But as far as the wheel wells were concerned, that seems to be the point of contention here. That was never anything that a team was penalized for. It was just a matter of inspection that it sounds like there was something going on there that no team ever got in trouble for, but enforcement became such that that advantage, whatever it was, did go away and it did hurt the teams. I think that may be the start of their struggles or at least part of the start of their struggles, but I, I can't look past the perceived lack of importance that, that may be coming in from the leadership at Stuart Haas Racing by their absence, at least at the racetrack. I'm not sure if they're at the actual race shop between the races, but their absence at the racetrack does say a lot in terms of their priorities, how they spend their time and what's important to them. Hopefully, you know, the, the kind of the, the, the attention surrounding Tony Stewart being at the racetrack this weekend, it kind of drives home the, the importance of having that leadership role there. Yes, Kevin Harvick is a veteran at the team. He's in a lot of ways, he is a team leader, but he's not a team owner. His name is not at the top left corner of the paychecks. Tony Stewart and Gene Haas, their names are. And without their leadership there, I think Stewart Haas Racing will struggle to get to right the ship. Okay, Jay. Hello? Did we lose Jerry? I don't think so. Looks like he's still there. Do you have the mute on, Jay? Okay. Well, Tommy, let's go to you until I can hear from Jay. Yeah, just when the boss is there, you're more motivated. The morale's up. I feel like you're going to be working harder. And, I mean, just looking from the outside in, it does look like his time is more invested in SRX than it is at the Cup right now. But I think it's more to it than just that. I do feel like right now the Chevys are just being – they're just the dominant force over Toyota and Ford. But what you said, Sharon, is actually where I was going, where what I was thinking next Chevy, I'm, I'm enjoying seeing Hendrick Motorsports dominate right now, but if it's like it was a few years ago when the Camaro first hit the cup level, the Camaro wasn't that competitive. So now I'm starting to fear that Ford and Toyota are going to dominate next year and Hendrick Motorsports and Chevy are going to be the laughing stock. Well, not the laughing stock, but you know, they're not we're, – we're happy. I'm happy now, but I'm not going to be happy next year when I'm seeing Joey win every race instead of Chase and – um, William Byron. Okay, uh, Jay, are you back? 
I think we may have we lost can't... Jay. He's, 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 he's been replying to the comments in the, uh, in the Teams chat on this, um, but I, okay. I think he may be off of the call. Okay. Well, I think that uh, uh, he's still in the queue for some reason uh, on the studio. So usually when he's not there anymore, he's not on the queue. So I'm not sure what's going on. Um, but yeah, I, I just really do think that these guys have written off this season. <laughs> and um, uh, again, to go back to this column uh, and what Stuart Haas said, um, what uh, Tony said, it's funny and a huge compliment that all these people think that because I'm not at the shop all the time, that I'm the one making the calls and operating all of this single-handedly. And I'm the single reason why it's not working, the three-time champion told the Associated Press. Um, he really just sits and watches the race in this year. And the, for this at Nashville, it was from inside an air-conditioned team hauler. So um, his primary at-the-track responsibility is to be the Hall of Famer, mingling with guests and sponsors. So uh, keeping in mind that NASCAR only reopened the garages seven weeks ago. So, you know, that's his perspective. He doesn't do anything except mingle and watch the race. When he is at the track, um, he's letting his people make the decisions and do what they need to be doing as their job at the track. Um, But I do think that we are going to see them. uh, I, I do think what Tommy said uh, that next year Ford is going to be on top of the game and it's going to be maybe Chevrolet that's behind the curve uh, because they've been trying to play catch-up from the Camaros um, and, and they, they're caught up and they're, they're performing this year. Uh, but I, I do think that it's because some of these other teams are really uh, more focused on next season. So we'll have to see what happens. Um, the other comment that he made was that wasn't the magic to make our race cars go fast, but it was certainly nice to have him here. Oh, that was uh, Almarola. Uh, Tony is a great morale booster. He's our boss, and we all looked up to him and appreciate when he's here at the racetrack, so it's certainly nice to see him. Harvick, on the other hand, uh, I guess Tony made the grid walk, uh, and by the time he made it to Harvick's car, he was already buttoning up the hatch, if you will, and uh, it wasn't even positive whether or not he knew it was Tony uh, that came over to say hello to him. So when they asked him about it after the race, he, w- he was like, oh, was, was he even here? I didn't know. So, um, you know, it, it there's a couple of ways to look at this, and I'm just offering another way to look at it. I, I get the point that you guys are making, uh, but at the same time, I think that there's other things to look at as well. So, Mike, you get the final words. Well, it's going to be a lot to be seen. We're only halfway through the season here, right around halfway in the season. So there's still a lot of races left. I I get what you're saying about it being kind of a write-off year, but at the same time, at this level of motorsports, it's really hard to just fold with half the season left ahead of you. There's still a lot of racing left to do. And I would oh, hope I that Stuart Haas Racing... 
Well, I, I would I would hope that Stuart Haas Racing continues to make efforts to try and be competitive this year, as opposed to just logging laps and, and with their eyes towards the 2022 season. I do look forward to hopefully seeing them be more competitive as the year continues. If that means that Tony Stewart's at the racetrack more and that, that provides the motivation, that's great. I think he's a great personality. He's definitely polarizing, but he's a great personality, and there's a lot of people who look up to him both inside and outside of the garage. So I think having him at the racetrack will be a positive influence for the team, and hopefully he, uh, he makes himself available a little bit more frequently. Okay. All right, Jay, did you have anything more? Oh, Jay, Jay's not here. Okay, so Tommy, do you have anything else? Um, I don't have really anything else to add to it. Okay, how about you, uh, Mike? Nope, that's going to do it for me. All right, so let's do our roundtable. Tommy, we'll start with you. Uh, NASCAR fans at 95 on Twitter. Uh, give me a follow. Need some more followers so that way I can start tweeting up the storm. Okay. Uh, Mike? Yeah, it's going to be Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit for all my spicy opinions, hot takes, and always correct opinions. Uh, that's all I've got going on right now. I'll come up with something to write about one of these days, but uh, I've got nothing in the pipeline so far. Always correct opinions. Is that an oxymoron? No, absolutely not. I, I never misspeak, <laughs> and I mean what I say. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, opinions are opinions. Okay, so let's uh, just say that I am fan for racing site at Twitter and fan for racing blog and radio elsewhere on social media as well as our fanforacing.com website. And uh, uh, we do have uh, Sam's recap up uh, today from the uh, cup race from this weekend. And uh, I know that uh, Owen did send me the power ranking, but by the time I saw it, it was too late to post it. So my apologies to Owen Stewart. Uh, We will try to get that up uh, for next week. Uh, and uh, he's already said that he will be on Hot Topics next Monday night. So we'll look forward to having Owen on Hot Topics with us next Monday night. And uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, uh, Tommy, but I'm hoping you can do Hot Topics as well. Uh, Maybe. um, Personal life is still kind of crazy right now. might be moving in like three weeks now, so... Oh, okay. I'll, I'll let you know, though. I'll let you know. Okay. Yeah, keep me posted. We've got an open seat for Thursday. And uh, uh, definitely enjoy doing the hot topics with our fan for racing crew. I appreciate everybody uh, for everything that they do. And uh, definitely looking forward to the next articles that are coming my way. Um, I know Jay still is working on the article about Michael McDowell, so we're looking for that one to be coming our way soon. And uh, we'll get it up there on fanforacing.com. Please let me know when you've posted an article uh, so that it it doesn't get overlooked. I would appreciate that. And uh, also um, a big shout-out to all of our listeners uh, for tuning in so that... uh, 
you appreciate, uh, I guess, what we have to say here on Tampa Racing Radio. Uh, we enjoy doing it. We hope you enjoy it as much as we enjoy uh, saying it, so uh, listening as much as we enjoy saying what we're saying. So um, with that, I guess we're ready to call it a night, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to everybody again on Thursday night for our weekend preview show, and Jay will be back as co-host on Thursday, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So with that, we're ready to call it a wrap. Good night, everybody. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.